This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Chapter Tactics, your 40k podcast, which focuses on playing Warhammer 40k competitively at all levels of the game and has some tournament news, too. I'm your host, Petey Pob, and today, after two long weeks, I know you guys have been very patient, I am back. Um, now, before I get on to the episode, I would like to make a quick announcement. Uh, next week, I am leaving, which is going to be the September 14th, the 5th, I guess September 16th, um, 15th, 16th, and 17th, uh, I will be leaving to Alaska. I will be going to Battlezone Ursa, uh, which is a 40k event there. Uh, I've got some friends up there. I'm really excited. Uh, if you're in, if you're going to be in the Anchorage, Alaska area next weekend, um, I highly recommend you come out to hang out with me um, or just come out to the event. It should be a lot of fun. Uh, I will be at a store, game store called Bosco's on Friday. Uh, so I'll be hanging out there with some buddies. <clears throat> so come on by. But other than that, uh, the two weeks after that, I have to go to the Iron Halo. I don't have to go. I, I can't wait to go to the Iron Halo, which is um, Bartlesville, Oklahoma's premier 40K event. Uh, the T.O. Jason Horn has big, big sights on this year. Um, he's hoping to reach over 100 people. Um, so it should be a, a large major. It's, it's obviously going to be a very big, prestigious event. Uh, I'm going to be streaming there. I, I know Jason's going to have a Twitch stream set up. Uh, and, and I just I can't wait to see the Iron Halo take the next step and become an even larger event and grow even more. So that, that'll be really exciting. Uh, last year, they gave away a Hoth, a Battle of Hoth board, game board, raffled it off, which I thought was pretty cool. So this year, I can't wait to see what kind of price support Jason Horn brings. Um, but what this means for you guys is the month of September is going to be extremely busy for me. Um, I'm going to try and keep my weekly release schedule. Obviously, the last two weeks, um, the first weekend was was uh, Nova. Like basically, we had to like I had to basically focus on my work in frontline gaming. It's like the secondhand shop, but it was really really busy because um, I was preparing because we were leaving for Nova for a week. And even though I took all that time to prepare we still fell a little bit behind. Um, so obviously the first week I, I was preparing, getting ready to go to Nova because we were, we were leaving, you know, Wednesday morning. So essentially we only had two work days before we left for Nova and then we were gone for a while. Um, so, and then after that, of course, was the actual Nova. And then I tried my best to, to remember to record because um, I, I was really dead set on recording at Nova. Uh, but it just didn't happen. You know, I, there, were, there were just too many people who wanted to buy me too many drinks um, I got a little sick during the, uh, convention. I think I caught the con crud early, um, shaking all those hands. Uh, so, you know, I, I think I am, I'm a little sick right now still. I'm just getting over it. Uh, so if you guys hear that in my voice or if I cough a little, I apologize. Um, but I'm going to do my best to stick to that weekly schedule. Uh, I do have a lot of really good episodes planned for the month. I already have content recorded. Uh, it's all just about sitting down and, taking the time to record the intros and, and record, you know, finish the episodes, basically, and then edit them and all that. So, it should be a lot of fun. 
thank you guys very much for waiting so patiently. Uh, now, on to the episode. We're going to have two topics. Um, it's Instead of tournament news plus main topic, we're going to have two big main topics um, to give you guys kind of like two episodes worth of content, hopefully. Uh, that That's my kind of my goal. Um, the first part I'm going to talk about, there there were five big events in, in since I've been since my last recorded episode um, that have gone on that I'd really like to talk about and each of them have their own narrative each of them have unique lists uh, uh, the TOs all have different philosophies on how 40k tournaments should be run um, so it's really it's really really cool and I'd really like to talk about all those dynamics I have all the show notes or I have all the notes written out for them um, I know exactly what I'm gonna talk about I've been looking through all the lists all week for the last two weeks uh, I've been keeping an eye and and looking at the events and the results. So I'm excited to talk about all those tournaments. And then after that, uh, I will be talking about my Nova experience. Um, I won't give you guys a game by game by game rundown because uh, that would take a while. Uh, I did play only six games. I dropped after day two uh, on Saturday. So, um, uh, you know, it's not like eight games, but um, I just... I, I would rather talk about my experience at Nova, uh, the game, uh, some of the general things that I, I found with my list, uh, and then I, I really like to dig into the uh, top eight, some of the controversy, uh, the invitational, and the meta, kind of like the meta analysis after post Nova. So we can actually probably just put that in the title. Post post Nova open meta analysis is really what I'd like to dig deep into um, because. GW was there, and GW was there in force. There was, I think I counted maybe 10 members of GW staff, all at one point wandering Nova's uh, 40k tournament area, right? So, and they were just, you know, they were, they were shocked. Um, I wouldn't say shocked. I'm sure, I'm sure some of them expected, like, a lot of malefic lords and, and the conscripts and stuff, but it, it was really cool to see the GW guys, like, look directly at, you know, parts of of 40k the competitive 40k no less and go like wow that's that's uh really crazy or, or like wow that I, I i feel so sorry for you i'm sorry your dark eldar going zero and six or whatever right uh you know it was just it was really cool to see them actually be a part of a tournament scene and physically be there and and hear you know players talk about their lists and their gripes and what they like and what they dislike so the nova the nova open is probably going to shape the direction 8th edition 40k is going to be going um, for the foreseeable future. Uh, so, unfortunately, um, if in if in uh, your local area, uh, Malefic Lords are not a problem, uh, they were a bit of a problem, at least perceived the general perception at the Nova Open. Uh, Malefic Lords and like things like the Super Chicken, Power Level 31+, plus, basically the crazy big Forge World things, they were perceived as unfun or a problem, etc., etc., and that was just me generally going around and, and asking people and getting like a general consensus, right? That's not just me talking out of my ass, right? So uh, I, I did do my best to do some investigating and see kind of where everyone's thoughts were during and after the event, uh, and I asked all my opponents. So it's it's going to be cool. It's going to be interesting. I can't wait to talk about it. Uh, but first. First tournament up on the list is Gen Con. Uh, the Gen Con uh, event, the 40k event, was 
uh, only had 29 players. Um, it was a very small event, which is kind of interesting because it, you know, the, the actual convention itself, Gen Con, pools, you know, 20, 30,000 gamers. And I'm sure I got that number wrong. I, it's, it's less than San Diego Comic Con, but it's still by far the easily the biggest board game convention in the United States. Easily. I'm, I'm sure they, they easily pull like 20,000 people. I'm, I'm sure of it. Um, so, you know, the, the, an event that pulls 20,000 people, uh, you'd be, you'd be kind of surprised that they didn't have a larger 40k tournament. Um, uh, but when you look at some of their competition that, you know, for that month of August and early September, uh, they have to compete with war games con, which is a respected event in Texas. Uh, they have to compete with flying monkey GT, which is, uh, kind of an up and comer in terms of the, the history of competitive 40k events. But the Flying Monkey GT is probably uh, behind the Renegade Open, the next, like the biggest established Midwest GT, you know, tournament. Uh, so the Flying Monkey GT is it's a respected tournament, um, and then you have to compete with Nova, and then you have to compete with uh, Capital City Bloodbath, which is Can Hammers in Canada, Team Can Hammers, Team Can Hammers' largest event. It's like their flagship event. Uh, so you're competing with, with, you know, Nova, Wargames Con, Capital City Bloodbath, and the Flying Monkey GT. And then you have another, you know, you have the Iron Halo, which is uh, in the end of the month of September. Um, and then, you know, you have the BAO sandwich in between it uh, in July. So it's just, it's a really, it's a really tough tournament grind. Um, and we are probably in the middle of the tournament season right now. Uh, they're, they're nonstop, there's going to be nonstop large events. Uh, obviously, the Renegade Open is in November, uh, and then, of course, you have the SoCal Open in October, and then LVO, uh, and then you have, ah, oh, man, you have, uh, there's so many, there's the, um, I'm, I'm gonna, uh, Ben Schmoller is gonna, is gonna kill me for forgetting the name, the T-Shift, thank you, uh, thank you to the random ghost who gave, shouted it out to me, I think it was Ben just shouting through the ether to get it out to me, uh, but there's T-Shift, um, and then I'm, I'm sure I'm missing more, but there's, there's, there's a lot. Uh, so tournament season up to the LVO is in full swing. Um, you're going to see a lot of events, a lot of, uh, a lot of lists, a lot of innovations, and it should be very interesting. It should be a very fun ITC season. Uh, and we don't really have like a true person who's ran away with it. Like, like in the past two years, right. Where Matt Root has just basically ran away with the ITC, um, the ITC first place. And then it was just between him and Brandy Grant. Um, up until the LVO, where, where it was maybe like 30 people that could win, but it was really a, really a race between Brandon Grant and Matt Root. Uh, and then, of course, the year before that, with Alan PJ Pants, who who pretty much ran away with the whole thing the whole year. Um, so it, this year, it's it's a little it's a little up in the air. Uh, my personal favorite is Andrew Gagno, um, with his impressive showing at Nova, uh, winning both the Invitational and the Open, and being the only true undefeated player at the event, uh, in 40k, so, you know, he, he, depending on, on how the guard codex, when he comes out, depending on how that shapes his ideas and his list, I think, I know he's going to stick with guard, um, it's his, his first love in 40k, so he'll probably stick with guard for the LVO, and, uh, he's currently my favorite to win the whole ITC, um, if I had to pick. Anyways, on to Gen Con, I apologize, um, the only thing I really wanted to talk about about Gen Con uh, was the winning list. So Josh Death showed up to Gen Con, and he 
ran a very very interesting list. So he ran Chaos, Chaos Primary, um, and he didn't he didn't run. I guess the the normal uh, quote unquote like the usual suspects were there. You know, he had the Changeling, he had some Demon Princes, um, but he also had a Fortress of Redemption, uh, which I thought was pretty interesting. So Joshua Death had a Primaris Redoubt or Primus Redoubt, um, which is essentially a, a large you know, a uh, fortification with a with dual turbo laser destructor, which is macro 2d3, 96 inch range, strength 16, 2d6 damage shots. Uh, basically, basically a, v- a very powerful forge world formation, uh, uh, fortification. And then um, demon princes, two demon for three demon princes, um, and then the changeling, and that's it. Uh, it doesn't show on his list here in BCP. Uh, that he had reserve points, but I think just mental counting off the top of his head, on top of my head, and just knowing Josh, he probably run a little bit of reserve points to summon stuff. Uh, so I imagine that was what essentially his list was. It was just the Demon Princes, the Changeling, some Exalted Flamers, and then the Primus Redoubt to hide them all in, and also shoot out of. Um, so I, I thought that was kind of an interesting list. Um, I'm sure there's some nuances that I'm missing uh, maybe I think maybe you can summon units and then they start shooting the Primus, so so you can like summon its own. Cr- I don't know. I, I'm sure there's something I'm missing that makes the list even better that I'm just not seeing because I'm unfamiliar with the the units and the models. Uh, but I, I thought that was a really interesting list. Um, uh, he won his major qualifications for it. Uh, there were actually there were two events in Gen Con, um, which which I actually didn't mention earlier. Uh, there was. 29 people in one and 21 people in the other uh and they're both on the bcp app so i don't know if they combined into one large event or if there were two events throughout two separate days too many rtts so to speak uh but uh, essentially um the the people the two people who won those events were aaron along and josh death um so no surprise there both really good players so moving on to the capital city bloodbath. Unfortunately, you guys won't be able to find the uh, the lists for this event on the BCP player app uh, like I am normally doing. So I'm actually, uh, if you guys are wondering where I'm pulling these lists up, uh, I'm actually going into the BCP player app and then I'm hitting the search function and then going, setting the date range to a month from now, a month from now, and then just you know, looking at all these events and looking at the player submitted lists. Uh, and then you can only do this with a subscription, uh, which of course I, I do pay. I, I do have a subscription. Um, but if you guys want to look at lists and if you guys want to look at lists in the past, kind of see how eighth edition has evolved. Uh, or if you're wondering like what your, your how your faction's doing, I highly recommend going, getting the BCP app and downloading it and uh, paying for that subscription to look at the list. Uh, it's a very, very useful tool. Um, and I know a lot of you guys, constantly ask everyone online for lists that's like the the number one question people get by a mile is lists lists let me see what the dude ran um and then the bcp app just kind of saves you the time so anyways uh that's just my quick little plug for those guys uh the bcp guys are good buddies of mine uh and they have a good they provide a good service and a good product ah so capital city bloodbath uh we our top eight so so first thing i want to mention about the capital city bloodbath is the top eight was really diverse uh with not a single primary faction matching and then let me just let me just tell you this top eight so you know how diverse it is uh the first first place uh went to who actually won best overall which is pretty cool 
Um, first place uh, was Questorus Traitorius or Renegade Knights. Uh, second place was Dark Angels. Third place was Blood Angels. Fourth place, Chaos Space Marines. Fifth place, Space Marines, specifically Ultramarines. Uh, sixth place, Necrons. Seventh place, Adeptus Custodes. Uh, I do have the Kevin's list. I, I will talk about it. Um, and then eighth place is Orcs, which is really which which is cool. It's a it, it's a cool cool diverse top eight. You know, you, you've got you've got the Xenos factions. You got two Xenos factions. Uh, you got three, four Imperium factions and two Chaos factions. Uh, so I guess if you break it down like that, it's not that diverse. But uh, all of those are very different factions. And they all play very differently, too, which is which is really cool. Um, one thing to know about the Capital City Bloodbath is this was before any codexes were allowed. Uh, and then Ditto for Gen Con, too. So so this was before, you know, you, you saw, like, cultists regenerating, um, you know, some of the really powerful Space Marine stuff, um, like the Raven Guard, the, the Alpha Legion minus one hit, and the Raven Guard minus one to hit. Uh, so so just, just keep that in mind. And also, this is minus Forge World. Uh, they didn't allow Forge World at the Capital City Bloodbath. Um, and it, it's kind of interesting that, that they banned Forge World and there was this much diversity. Um, but it's also not very surprising. Um, and also, this edition has been the most diverse edition anyways. So I don't know I don't know if that's a cause and relation there, or cause and effect there. Um, but basically, it was, it was a really diverse top eight, and it looked like a lot of fun. Uh, there were 54 people ended up showing up, which is very very close just missing out on that major mark which is what you want to aim for if you're an itc to uh but anyways so i i reached out to darren the to of the event and he gave me an idea of the list so the winning list of uh, eric dion's winning list was magnus two renegade knights brimstone horrors and a changeling he won best overall very 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 powerful very very simple list uh there's no surprise that he did so well with it in second place was uh Seer and Gib with um with Gilliman and Missile and Laz Spam and three Storm Ravens, which is also really powerful. Uh the Dark Angels list had uh six assault cannon razorbacks and then Laz Cannons with Azrael, uh the the Shroud, the Dark Shroud, and Celestine and a bunch of rattlings. Um so they're all very competitive list. Uh the Blood Angels list was Scions, Toroxes with three Storm Ravens. He unfortunately couldn't remember what the Inari list was so it looks like it looks like the sheet i was given had had a uh it was sorted by overall placing not just by battle score um so the top eight your actual your actual battle score top eight not including hobby was renegade knights dark angels blood angels inari ultramarines necrons custodes orcs so it's still the same so so basically Basically, um, let me just, did I count that right? I just added in Inari. Let's hold on. So we got Renegade Knights, one, Dark Angels. Sorry, guys. Uh, sorry, guys. It's also very early in the morning. I'm a little sick. Uh, I apologize. I swear to you, I have notes ready, but this this one piece of information uh, is a little bit, should have probably looked at it a little harder. Uh, I apologize. But uh, Renegade Knights, Dark Angels, Blood Angels, Chaos Space Marines, Inari, Ultramarines, Necrons, Custodes. So no orcs. No orcs made the top eight. Um, though you could argue that that uh, the Custodes and the orcs had the same battle points, eighty at eighty. So um, you could argue that they both tied for top eight. So you could say that there was a top nine where the top the eighth place was tied. 
uh, but Michael Grove did get barely beat out by Kevin and his Custodes list. Um, but when your event has a the eighth play, the eighth spot in your top eight of your event, it, it has Custodes and Orcs competing for it. That that's kind of cool. It's kind of interesting. So, anyways, back to back to the lists. Um, Darren couldn't remember the Inari list, and we don't have it unfortunately. Couldn't find it. Uh, the Necrons list, ha uh, Diego Pita's Necron list had 30 wraiths in it. Um, and as I understand it, 30 wraiths and a bunch of warriors. Um, so it was a very simple, very powerful Necron list. Just kind of interesting that that wraiths did so well. Uh, both of the Orcs players in the, the ninth and 10th place um, just spammed a lot of boys um, with hordes. And then the Custodes list, uh, which you guys have been waiting for patiently, um, it only had one unit of Adeptus Custodes, uh, and then it had three land raiders, um, and then some assassins and some other Imperium goodness mixed in there to make it more competitive. Uh, but uh, from what I understood, uh, Kevin's list, primarily the land raiders did the heavy lifting, which is which is pretty cool. You, you normally don't hear that. You have, in 7th edition, you certainly didn't hear that term, right? The land, land raiders were really bad in 7th edition, um, but now they're pretty good. Uh, so uh, unfortunately, he only had one unit of custodes. I wish he had more. Uh, but the Land Raiders were Venerable Land Raiders. They were Custodes Venerable Land Raiders. So he was paying that premium to give them the extra invuln save. Uh, so they were still they were still Custodes units. Uh, and also, in case you're wondering, no, you cannot have a Custodes primary faction. It's a it was actually an Imperium faction. Uh, but the faction with the most points was Custodes. So um, the event referred to it as a Custodes faction. But in the ITC... And when you're recording your event, when you're recording your results, um, you cannot be best custodes because they can't make their own pure detachment um, because they don't have they don't have to HQ choices. Um, so that's just some some stipulation for for those of you who might be you know saying like oh custodes aren't a real faction, you can't make them a faction. Yeah, you're right. Um, but it's referred to as a custodes list, um, and then I would say that. I, if, if there were more Custodes in there, it would be like a true Custodes list. But since there's only one unit and three Venerable Land Raiders, it's like a Custodes list asterisk. Uh, but that's still better than nothing, and still kudos to Kevin for doing so well with it. Now, moving on to WarGamesCon. Uh, WarGamesCon, I did get to talk to um, one of the players who went undefeated, Jonathan Camacho. Uh, I pulled his Gene Sealer. He gave me his Gene Sealer cult list, uh, which was very, very cool of him. And... Uh, essentially, WarGamesCon also fell short of being a major, just barely. Actually, never mind. They 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 hit a major. I just looked at the Best Coast Pairings Player app right now. Uh, they, they easily easily hit a major. Right. So their their final round five, they had sixty eight people playing. That's um that's a major for sure. Uh, so basically, there were two people who were undefeated throughout the whole the whole weekend. Uh, there was Jonathan Camacho and his Gene Sealer cult list. And Michael De Hoyos and his Inari list. So uh, I'll get to Jonathan Camacho's list in a, in a second. Uh, but De Hoyo ran an Autark, Ivrain, some Harlequin troop choices, and one spearhead detachment, which is his whole list. He only had four command points um, for his whole list. He had uh, three units of Dark Reapers for for uh, one unit of ten, two units of six, and then two Crimson Hunters, a Star Weaver, probably for the Harlequins. Um, who all have fusion pistols, uh, and then two wave serpents, and that's it. That's the list. It it, it doesn't sound like it's not a lot at all. Um, I imagine he just put the Autark and Avrain in the wave serpents with the small dark reaper squads, 
and then maybe kept the large Dark Reaper squad in the back, or maybe just kept all the Dark Reapers in the back. Um, but anyways, it was just missile launcher spam, and that's that's all there is on this on this uh, BCP app list. So I imagine that's all he had. That's just it's it surprises me how little units there are in in Eldar lists. And we'll obviously we'll talk about Eldari in the ne- in the next part of the episode. Um, but uh, th- it just it surprises me how how elite that army has become uh, compared to what it was in seventh edition, where all you saw were you know bikes and and uh warp spiders and it was it was like the definition of msu and and uh a lot of units and a lot of really fast good efficient units and now and a wraith knight um now it's it's really really elite right um which which is kind of cool it's kind of fluffy um but it's just you know something i noticed as i as i've just played more and more eldar it's they've just consistently always you know finished dropping first and never had a lot of units but uh, wave serpents, um, I think are personally highly underused. I know some people don't like them, um, that I know. And then I know a lot of people that I know who play Elder that do like them. So it's kind of a toss up. Uh, I was talking to Matt Shuckman, um, who, who obviously last year's best Eldar player, uh, really phenomenal player. He went to, he was on team America for the ETC. Uh, Matt Shuckman does not like wave serpents. Um, and I, I will, I will defer to his better judgment. Um, so I am taking the side of not wave serpents, maybe not being good. And maybe I'm just overhyping them and everyone else is overhyping them. Um, but at, at the, on the flip side, I've met some really good players that do play wave serpents and I've seen them do pretty well. Uh, so, you know, it, it's kind of interesting. I, I don't know. I don't know where wave serpents fall on the competitive spectrum for lists, uh, or for Eldar. Um, but it, they're just, they're basically very durable, but also very expensive and don't put out a lot of shots. Um, so, and that that's pretty much, that's pretty much it for Wave Serpents. So anyways, uh, Jonathan Camacho, who actually did beat the Boogeyman, and we'll, we'll talk about Colin McDade's list of Wargames War Con. It caused a little bit of minor internet controversy. Jonathan Camacho, who was the only person to beat Colin McDade, uh, had a Gene Sierra cult list with uh, two Patriarchs, a Primus, um, 28 pure strain gene stealers and two units, some neophyte hybrid, a bunch of neophyte hybrids, a lot of bodies, uh, some chimeras for two small squads of neophyte hybrids, and then a tyranid detachment with a hive tyrant, which, well, basically a flyrant with venom cannons, which is kind of cool. You get to see those again. Death leaper, who who actually does pretty good at nerfing characters, the, some euclid spores, uh, a bunch of scout, uh, two scout sentinels and an armored sentinel, all with las cannons. And then an Astro Militarum detachment with a Primaris Psyker, because um, you gotta you gotta maximize that smite count. Um, and then three units of Rattlings. So, you know, pretty is is a pretty solid list. Uh, and then, uh, it, so it was a pretty solid list, and he did really well with it. And Jonathan Camacho has been uh, ever since Gene Circles came out, uh, and he decided to abandon his Necrons um, that he top aided at the LVO with two years ago. Um, he he's taken Gene Circles and ran with it and he's he's been doing consistently well with it even though it, it wasn't considered uh, like top tier army in seventh edition um and then i would probably argue it's not a top tier army in eighth edition uh but when they get their codex maybe they'll get really good uh so it's just it, it's kind of cool to see jonathan camacho doing well with a single faction spanning multiple editions or, or two editions specifically uh so he did he those are the two undefeated lists um that's kind of cool that's very interesting uh, and then of course there was colin mcdade's list 
So Colin won best overall, and you might have already seen his list. It was featured on Bell of Lost Souls as the winning uh, Wargames Con list, and it's gotten a little bit of notoriety. So if you haven't heard of this list, it has Gilliman, Drago, Celestine, that, that's your Death Star core, quote-unquote, uh, and then a, an Inquisitor and Terminator armor. I imagine that's just to add, to fit the theme of the list, and, and then tell me when you start to figure out the theme. He's got five Calexus Assassins, one Calidus Assassin, three Eversor Assassins, two Vindicare Assassins, an Ultramarine's Librarian, and a Retributor Squad with four Heavy Bolters. And that's the list. That's everything. Um, so, the, uh, if you haven't figured it out yet, the theme is characters, uh, and th- this is probably one of the one of the uh, least controversial controversial lists that have come out of this one month period of Eighth Edition tournament play. Uh, b- basically, the idea of this list is to spam abuse the crap out of the character rule. Uh, you you get a lot of Calexus assassins, and you put them out front. And then you have Gilliman, Celestine, and Drago kind of stay behind them and, and protect them from any really big, nasty melee threats um, and form like a cord of a Death Star. Uh, Celestine can obviously just act of faith and go somewhere um, where you need her to move 24 inches, charge something, kill them. Um, Gilliman obviously buffs all the assassins around him, um, which makes them all better because they're all hitting on twos. Uh, and, then, and then Drago can either stay with them, he can Gate of Infinity away somewhere else, um, you, you can kill things. It, it's... It's it's a really it's a really interesting solid list. It didn't do that well at Nova. Uh, there were very there were lists very similar to it at Nova, and I, I saw a lot of the same concepts of character spam, but there were there no one actually there wasn't actually a whole lot of success with it. Um, so maybe 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 this is just a spark in the pan, or maybe this is this was pre codexes. So maybe you know this was something that that you only saw in the, out of the index and. They, someone just found it too late or or maybe this is something we'll see resurface later on in one of the larger events so just just bear that in mind as you're playing your games uh, this character spam list is is very very possible and very easy to do and i know a bunch of people who have this many assassins especially those people who were chasing the the officio assassinorum title last edition uh for the best assassins player so it, it, this list, it, I, I personally, my personal opinions is, is this list is is something I wouldn't build for and I wouldn't worry about. Uh, and if you build for the meta right now, which is hordes and horde killing, that usually does pretty well against this list. So if you run something powerful or something something with a lot of bodies, I, I imagine this list will falter a little bit. Uh, but it, it can be dangerous. And if you're not prepared for it or if you put too much bank in your shooting, this list will will tear you apart because you really won't be able to kill a lot because of that character special rule. Uh, so that's just that's just kind of interesting. Uh, that those are the the three lists I wanted to talk about for War Games Con. Moving on to the Flying Monkey GT. Uh, unfortunately, in the BCP app and online, I couldn't find the lists for the top players at at uh, the Flying Monkey GT, um, which which is a little bit of a bummer. Um, I think what it looks like uh, on the BCP end is it looks like the Flying Monkey GT had its own score system set up, or pairing system set up, uh, and then they just recorded all the all the winning wins and losses and everything separately on a different uh, application or by hand. 
and then just manually put them into the BCP app for to make it easy to score the ITC points. So so I don't know I don't know if that's what happened, uh, but basically, your your two finalists were Andy Anderson and Aiden Barkley. Andy Anderson was running Tau. Aiden Barkley was running Chaos, uh, pure Chaos, not Chaos Space Marines. So that those that was your final table with Aiden Barkley beating Andy Anderson, going six zero and winning the whole thing. So that that was that was the the final table with the top eight of pure Chaos. Uh, Ultramarines, Harlequins, Tau, Grey Knights, Zinch Demons, Chaos Demons, and Sisters of Battle. Uh, so, so uh, aside from the the lone Xenos Harlequins player and the Tau player, uh, is very very split between Imperium and Chaos, as you'd expect. No Astra Militarum, which it, which is kind of surprising considering how well they did at the Bay Area Open and how, at Nova. Uh, but I imagine all Andrew Gagno the best Astro Militarum player currently right now, he went to Nova, so may- maybe maybe there's just not a lot of Astro Militarum players in the East Coast, and the best one just went to Nova instead of the Flying Monkey. I, I don't know. That That's kind of interesting that there wasn't any Astro Militarum in the top eight, uh, but also not surprising, because the, those are all some really heavy-hitting factions. At, I really, I'd really like to know what the sisters list was, um, and if you guys have access to the flying monkey lists that I don't know about, go ahead and shoot them to me at frontlinegamingpdpab at gmail.com. That's uh, my email. Go ahead and shoot those lists to me if you have if you were in the flying monkey and you'd like to and you were in the top eight and you'd like to share your list with me. Or if you if you have access to the flying monkey GT lists and I just I missed them in my research, go ahead and just shoot those to me. I'd love to get them. I'd love to look at them and see what people are running. Specifically Aiden Barkley's pure chaos list. Because it, it, the Flying Monkey was going at the same time as Nova. So it would be interesting to see how a pure chaos list at the Flying Monkey GT looks versus a pure chaos list at Nova. Uh, right? Uh, they must they might have been very similar. You know, did they both have Malefic Lords? Who knows? I, I would bet my I would bet my shoes at, that that they had, did have Malefic Lords. And I really like my shoes because they're my favorite pair. But yeah, I, I imagine Malefic Lords are pretty common. So, moving on to the Nova Open. This, this of course, was the easily the largest event of uh, in the last three weeks since I've last recorded my last episode. With over 200 players, uh, a lot of them very, very competitive players. And, and I, just, just to, if you've never been to Nova, I've never been to Nova. It was my very first Nova experience. The competitive field there is insane. You know, even at the, the bottom tables... People, people are bringing their A games. They're bringing their their hardest hitting lists. Everyone over there is really nice and competitive. Uh, you know, you know the the casual players. They have their narrative event. They have their glowpocalypse, uh, and that's where they stay. And and um, and I'm not saying that casual players shouldn't play competitive 40k. Um, that that's not what I'm saying at all. But it, you know, at an event like for example, like the Bay Area Open, the Bay Area Open, it's just one large 40k event. There, there's no narrative events. There's no 30k. There, there's no, there's nothing except this large, big, competitive 40k event. And so you do have casual players who go to the Bay Area Open, who, who just simply they go because they want to go to a big tournament with their buddies, right? And so, so they'll play someone like Brandon Grant or Andrew Gagno, you know, and they'll, they'll get smashed. And and you know, they may or may not, you know, depending on their disposition, they may or may not uh, enjoy that game. Uh, but 
you know, you didn't get that at Nova. At Nova, every person I played and every person I talked to and every list I saw was geared towards being really good. Uh, obviously, not not everyone was running the same thing. People still like to, in general, win their own way with their own cool, fun units and, and their own, you know, quote-unquote special snowflake way, uh, which there's nothing wrong with that. I, myself, am a special snowflake who likes to win with his own unique lists and not with what the general net list is running, the general flavor of the month. Uh, I know Reese is the same way, um, and even though Frankie doesn't, won't, probably won't like to meet it, Frankie also likes w- winning with, with his own factions and you know, winning with his own unique way. Um, so we all, and I think that that's kind of a, a general 40k, competitive 40k thought um, and idea is that is that you when you win, you don't just want to be another Eldar list. You know, you want to set yourself apart from the crowd, so to speak. And in 7th edition, what, this is maybe one of the reasons why people don't like 7th edition so much. It was very hard to do that. You know, you, you even if you ran your own cool, unique Death Star variant, you were still a Death Star, or you were perceived as a Death Star by uh, the majority of the populace, the majority of the 40k community. You know, no matter how how many times you you declared that your your secret your secret uh, tech, your secret Yark tech, and, and Yark won you games, and he was the reason why, and he makes your list unique. Like, no, people will easily look past your your Yark or your or your interesting little twist that you added to the list, and just call your list what it is—a Death Star list, right? I personally don't believe in that philosophy. Uh, I do like to, I do like to uh, see net lists and then see people add their own flair to them and do well with them. Uh, but I come from the Magic the Gathering background where that that's the norm, right? You take like a core of good cards and, and you you play with them, and you do well with them, and then you add you know four or eight really good cards that that that'll set people, that'll surprise people, and then those are the cards you use to win, and those are those are your own personal little flair. And in the grand scheme of things in Magic, those eight cards make a big difference. But but in a vacuum, they're only you know forty eight cards in a sixty card deck plus a fifteen card sideboard. You know they're nothing, right? So so it's just kind of interesting the difference between forty k and Magic in terms of competition and perception. All that aside, there were a lot of really intelligent, really competitive, and uh, amazing players at Nova. I, I didn't. I didn't see a single real argument or a real big problem in, on a player on a player player versus player level. Uh, there was a little bit of controversy, which which I will get into. But it was overall it was an amazing event. I do highly recommend going to Nova, uh, as I also uh, it reminded very mu- me very much of the Las Vegas Open in the style and the the way it was presented and the way it was ran. So if you if you've been to the Las Vegas Open and not Nova, or if you've been to Nova and not the Las Vegas Open, I recommend going to both events. They're both very similar, but they're both very competitive. They're both very large conventions, and they're both very fun to go to. So, that that being said, moving on to the Invitational. The, the Invitational was won, of course, by Andrew Gagno, who played Andrew Ga- or, uh, who played uh, Pajama Pants, Alan Pajama Pants, and his Chaos, uh, his Chaos Soup list, Pajama Pants ran a Charybdis Assault Claw. Actually, oh, let, let's... I'm sorry. Let me just backtrack a little. Uh, Andrew Gagno and Pajama Pants were scheduled to play in the final round of the Nova Invitational. Um, but it, when Andrew Gagno went first, Alan Pajama Pants conceded on the stream uh, before the game started. Uh, now, 
I'm going to leave my own personal opinion out of this for a second and just explain uh, basically what happened. Uh, Andrew Ganyu and Alan Pajama Pants were setting up, uh, deploying. This was this was now, to be fair to Alan Pajama Pants and, and to be completely clear about the situation, it was 7 a.m. So it was really, really early in the morning. Uh, and this isn't a convention where, you know, you, it's not in the middle of nowhere. There, there's a bustling city around it. Uh, there are places to drink and have fun and go clubbing and partying with your buddies. So, and, and Alan Pajama Pants is not the kind of guy who who goes from the convention hall to his hotel room and sleeps. You know, he, he's a he's a he's a really fun guy. He's a lot of buddies. Uh, he is in his element, so to speak. So, I I would imagine Alan Pajama Pants was drinking. Now, was he drinking enough to impact him playing? Who knows? I I don't know. I, I didn't personally hang out with him on Saturday night, but. I, I would be willing to bet that that was a small factor in his decision to concede. Uh, basically, Andrew he knew that if Andrew Gagne went first, Andrew Gagne would take the board with his massive army, and we'll we'll talk about his list in a second. Uh, with, with his you know massive amounts of bodies, would take most of the board control and board position, shoot Alan Pajama Pants' models that were on objectives because I think he had the range of the firepower to do just that, um, and then basically push pajama pants away so that his alpha strike wouldn't work uh, and then it would be all downhill from there that that's kind of my thought process I, I imagine pajama pants probably has a little more insight into the situation and why uh, he felt like if Ganya went first he would not win uh, so because he felt like if Ga since Ganya was going to go first and he didn't seize uh, he just didn't want to play out a long drawn out game um, which which uh, on one hand is 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 very uh, understandable especially playing against uh, an army like Andrew Gagnon's with a lot of bodies. Um, but of course, on the flip side, uh, it is also uh, a little, it can be seen as disrespectful to your opponent. Um, so I, I, of course, don't have an opinion on this, uh, but I would like to know what you guys think. It, it, it is a very, it is a very interesting situation. Um, and there was a little bit of, there was not a little bit, there was, there was a lot of controversy around it. So uh, that was the Nova Invitational Finals. We'll go ahead and go into Andrew Gagnon's list. So he he had a supreme content, supreme command detachment with uh, four primary psychers, Saint Celestine, and an astropath to really maximize his smite potential, which it, which is a theme that you you will see throughout most of Eighth Edition until until if GW fixes the smite situation. He had uh, Legion command squads with plasma guns, Legion trooper infantry squads, Seraphim. Uh, a lot of heavy weapon mortar teams, five to be exact, just 15 dreadnought bases, essentially. Some Elysian company commanders, Elysian snipers, who who are uh, also on dreadnought bases because the sniper squad is is a two-man squad on a dreadnought base, and the, one's holding a sniper and the other's holding like a LAS pistol. So th those are also on large bases. So so right there alone in the mortars and the the sniper squads, you you have nine, let me just do some quick math in my head, sorry, 15, 18, 21 dreadnought bases worth of worth of coverage, all for the low, 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 extremely low price of under 250 points, right? I think I might be, I think my math might be off on there, under 300 points, we'll just say, because the mortars are 27 points each per unit, and the Elysian sniper squads are 21 points each per unit, and that, that's seven units, so that's, that's that's low. That's that's not a lot of points for a lot of uh, coverage, right? So Andrew Gagne didn't have a lot of room to place his stuff in. 
Uh, then, of course, he had five Torox Primes with the, the Daka Primes with the Gatling Gun and the Hotshot Volley Gun. Uh, and the, the heavy, he had a Heavy Stubborn instead of a Storm Bolter, which is kind of interesting. And he had, of course, um, 120 Conscripts, some more Astropaths, a commas, two Commissars, and uh, two more Primary Psychers in Creed, and a Battalion Detachment. And that was his list. So, so you, you know, he had he had a lot of command points. He had a lot of bodies, a lot of shooting, not a lot of heavy shooting. He didn't have he didn't have he had the plasma guns for dealing with with uh, annoying vehicles like maybe opposing Toroxes or opposing artillery or, or maybe he really wanted to get berserkers out of a rhino um, or something or the other. But he he had he had a, he had enough firepower I think to kill something that he needed to kill. And then other than that, it was just a lot of bodies. And that, that's how he'd win the games. He'd pick progressive and then just swarm the objectives until the game ended. Which is which which is clever, um, but also perceived to be very unfun. And I personally wouldn't have fun playing against a list like this. Um, but only because I don't really have the tools to beat it. So I imagine if, if I had a lot more horde killing or if I had the tools to beat it, uh, I would probably have a little more fun playing the list. Just removing all those bodies off the table. But right now, as it stands, this is the meta list, and this is the list to beat, and it's actually a very easy list for a lot of guard players to obtain, because they already have most of the models. So, just to, just keep that in mind, uh, as you guys are, as you guys are, um, you know, building your lists in the future, and trying to prepare for your tournaments in the future, uh, the guard list, the Andrew Gagno guard list with the, the Horde of the Bodies is the list to beat right now. Even despite all the malefic lords and and crazy other chaos stuff that you see, and then when the death card codex comes out, uh, that the death card might might maybe potential or the admech they might potentially push further further and uh, take that spot away from the guard. But right now, as it stands, guard are the faction to be in my opinion. The two other player in the top four were Alex Fennel, um, who had a, a really heinous list, probably probably the the worst looking list um and not in terms of appearance but in terms of the the actual list itself it, it was a list that made you go Ugh. you know you know what list kind of list i'm talking about but that by by a worse list i mean that um so he had uh, a super chicken uh i don't i will not pronounce his name on live on the podcast uh os blah 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 the the zinch super forge world super chicken um with the huge staff and the spawn summoning and, and you know super hard to kill 30 wound three up invuln minus one to hit because of the changeling super chicken uh obviously had the changeling uh brimstone horse a bunch of them uh, a lot of them and 13 mulfic lords and that was pretty much the list let me just triple check to make sure i'm not missing something but uh as i was staring at it that seemed to be pretty clear so yeah, yeah, no, I, I was I was correct. He has a uh, supreme command detachment with with the super chicken, and then thirteen malefic lords, the changeling. Oh, and he also had three armored sentinels with las cannons for for fun, I guess. I don't know. I don't. Uh, and then he only had he had one unit of brims, uh, one unit of pinks with no reserve points, uh, and then five units of brimstone horrors with one blue horror. So 50, 50 brimstone horrors and 10 pink horrors with one brimstone horror thrown in there for fun. So that that was his list, which it, it's it's a nasty list. It's it's not only nasty it's not only nasty, but it's it's oh, actually I missed stuff. I'm sorry. He also had some renegade command squads with las cannons, 
uh, and some Renegade Heavy Weapon Mortar teams, and 168 summoning points, and 14 command points. So that's less. There was a second page to this. That was a that was an absolutely nasty list. Um, the, I imagine the Renegade side and the Guard side did some work for him um, in keeping his, his backfield clear, which is probably why he brought them. He probably brought them for just maximum board control, uh, and which is maybe why he brought the Armored Sentinels too. He just wanted to maximize those large Dreadnought bases to uh, prevent people from deep striking behind him, which definitely works. Uh, and then, of course, the other top four finalist was Nick, Nava- Nick Nanavati. I-, I did end up playing Nick uh, in the very first round of the Invitational, um, and I lost. So I was eliminated immediately. Um, his list is really good. It's it's actually it's a really balanced chaos list, and I would say out of the top four, it's probably the most fluffy i i guess yeah it's it's pretty it, it's just it's the most tame looking list out of the top four i think personally um there there's very little there's only there's only uh one two malefic lords i think let me just triple check this uh let, i don't want to be wrong uh three malefic lords sorry there's only three malefic lords uh which is which is of course still a big deal um, right, because you have at least one Malefic Lord, but there's only three, which which is compared to thirteen, nothing. Uh, and in the game we played, the Malefic Lords didn't have a huge impact on the game, which was pretty much the only time I could actually say that when I play Chaos. So he had a uh, Chaos Lord, a Corn, Chaos Lord of Corn, a Malefic Lord, nine units of Noise Marines, fifteen Cultists, twenty Brimstone Horrors, three Obliterators, two Rhinos. Three, yeah, three obliterators, two rhinos, and then he had an exalted champion with the murder. He gave it the murder sword and killed Gilman with it, which which was funny. He was screaming murder sword at the top of his voice when we played. He had a dark apostle, two units of berserkers, four and two units of rhinos, 30, uh, 36 cultists, and another unit of thirty six cultists. And he also had fifteen alpha legion cultists and some warp talons and Aramon. That's it. That's the list. It's a, it's a very simple list. It's what it does is it kind of sets up, takes over the middle of the board, and sets up for a late game surge onto objectives that that's really hard to deal with, right? He can just stick the berserkers in the rhinos, and what he did against me was he knew that I had gunline army and he knew I had Gilliman waiting for berserkers just in the waiting. So turn three, he waited to the last possible minute, picked you know withered me down, uh, killed what he needed to waited to the last possible minute to drop his warp talons down and then warp time them forward and then between the warp talons and the two berserker squads and the obliterators and the murder sword champion he he charged pretty much my entire army everything that was left all my artillery my whirlwinds my gray knights the rest of my conscripts that survived and just wiped them all out it was it was brutal and devastating he rolled uh, I, uh, you know, 10 and 11 inch charges, which he didn't need to. I think he needed to roll like sevens or sixes, but those tens just, just made it absolutely positive that he would get every single unit, right? There was, there was no way he wasn't charging my entire army. And, and then I made a little bit of a mistake and I, I swung with Gilliman first, or I didn't swing with Gilliman first. And then his murder sword champion took Gilliman out. Um, and then that was pretty much it. That was pretty much the game at that point. I could have maybe, he didn't kill as much as I thought he would, so I could have maybe, if Gilman had survived, could have maybe come back and and potentially killed him uh, and, and won, but it would have been it would have been very, very difficult to do. So uh, that's Nick Nanavati's list, and that was the top four for the Invitational. 
And finally, moving on to the uh, main event, the big one, the Nova Open. So there's, if you guys are in the BCP app, and, and there's, there's going to be a little bit uh, of some confusion here. Uh, let me just explain the way the Nova Open is bracketed down. So you first, you, you play your first three games, or your first four games, because there's eight rounds total. Uh, so you play your first four games, and then after those four games, they seed you into brackets, top 16 brackets, and then they that's where you play your next four games. So they have these pods or these individual brackets that you need to, that you get seeded into, and there were I believe eight or there are more than that. Let me let me just count real quick. Give me one second. Oh, there were thirteen. I'm sorry. There there were thirteen individual brackets. Yeah, eight. I don't know where I got the number eight from. Anyways, there are thirteen brackets, and this gave you a chance to win, even though you might have lost all your games. Right. So if you if you were if you lost all your games, you were seated into the thirteenth bracket. Uh, you were then put in a single elimination bracket tournament, mini tournament, a tournament within a tournament, so to speak, uh, where you could potentially win. And if you won your bracket, you got points or you got you got prize support for winning your bracket, which which is really cool. It, it, it lets players it gives everyone a chance to win even after they've already lost and don't have a potential to win the grand prize, which is a thousand dollars. So it, it's definitely a cool system. Um, but in terms of, you know, looking at best coast pairings and, and looking at uh, the final the finishing the finishes and, and how everyone did it's a little harder um and rankings can be a little skewed uh, for example the your, your top four in the final bracket were andrew gagno case kelsey haley carlos kaiser and tony kopak but if you that that and that's your true top four so that's the top four of the top bracket so this was these were uh, essentially if the tournament were to continue on these would be your top four uh, you know, in the whole event, and everyone else would have already, you know, been playing other people, um, and they've been eliminated from contention, right? But your in in if you don't include that, if you don't include the top bracket, and you just take it based off of raw, you know, win losses, um, and not where you were seated, your top four was Andrew Gagno, Kelsey Haley, Tony Kopak, and uh, Steven Juice from the Long War Network. Which, by the way, Juice, I I met you. At Nova, you are a gentleman. You you are one of the nicest people I've ever met. And kudos to you for bringing your guard and army you love and doing so well with it. Uh, you are a great guy. So just wanted to give Juice a shout out. Stephen Four. Um, <clears throat> so that would be your top four if you were to take out the bracket results. <clears throat> so uh, I'm not going to take credit away from Juice. He he did he did win his bracket, which is the number two bracket, which is which is no slouch. There were a lot of really good players in the number two bracket. Um, but your your top four, I, I personally feel like the num- the top bracket, I feel like that's where you should draw your top four from because those those p- players all did go 4-0 in the beginning and earned their right to be in that bracket. Um, but you can look at it either way, right? So you, you can look at it as like, oh, well, they didn't win out, right? So they actually lost more games than, than Juice, who, who ended up winning and played, you know, just as equally hard competition. So it, it can go either way. But uh, the, the my point of all this in explaining all this is just to to prove that there there are two ways to look at these rankings, uh, and I don't think either one is wrong. 
um, and I'm I'm going to look at it this way, and that's just so don't don't like don't get mad at me if if I don't mention someone who's in the top eight who's not in the brackets. But anyways, the top eight in bracket number one uh, were Andrew Gagno first place beat Kelsey Haley, uh, Kelsey Haley with chaos, and I'll get into the lists right after this. Carlos Kaiser with Alvalesian, Tony Kopak with uh, Astro Militarum, Tyler DeVries with a very interesting list. Uh, he was Grey Knight's primary. Steve Bowright with Alphalegion, Alan Pajama Pants with World Eaters or Chaos Space Marines, and Adrian Gignard with Sisters of Battle. So, uh, we, we do know Andrew Gagne's list. I did already actually explain it to you guys. Kelsey Haley's uh, Chaos list, I believe he he basically, Kelsey Haley let, I, I don't know if he let Alex Fennel borrow his list or if, if Alex Fennel switched. So Alex Fennel switched to a different list for the Nova Open, and Kelsey Haley ran Alex Fennel's list, you know, at 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 the Nova Open, right? He the thirteen Malefic Lords, the the Demon Lord, the Greater Demon, a uh, bunch of Brims, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So he had he had the the dirty dirty list, and Ganyu managed to beat it. Uh, so kudos to Ganyu for beating that that really dirty thirteen Malefic Lord, Asto blah 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 super chicken list. Uh, Carlos Kaiser, who who is a good friend of mine, who uh, I really like watching Carlos play. He brought a bunch of Malefic Lords, Magnus, Brims, Changeling. He, he brought six Malefic Lords, to be exact. Five Malefic Lords. Sorry. Five Malefic Lords, the Changeling, Obliterators, three Rhinos, two units of Berserkers, one unit of Noise Marines, a bunch of Cultists, a Dark Apostle, and a Sorcerer. So a list very similar to Nick Nanavati's Invitational list. Though he brought Magnus instead of the, basically instead of the the rest of the, like the Warp Talons and, and some of the other stuff that Nick Nanavati brought, Aramon. So he, he just brought Magnus instead of those basically, uh, but a very very similar list. And I think this list is going to spring up a lot. So you don't need a lot of Berserkers and Rhinos. You just really need like two or three units in, in a Rhino, and that that's pretty much enough to do most of the work. Because Berserkers they don't they don't. They're not meant to table your opponent because they, they are just a little too slow to table your opponent, but they're really good at just zoning your opponent away from things and, and getting in your opponent's face and disrupting them and, and being tough to kill and cover. So so you really don't need a lot of Berserkers. Tony Kopak and his guard list, he ran some company commanders, 120 conscripts, two, unit, two sentinels, some, I, I'd imagine they're scout sentinels, two wyverns, Tempestor Primes, Commissars, uh, Plasma Gun Command Squads. Actually, uh, three. Yeah, not those aren't Plasma Gun Command Squads. Three units of Scions with two Plasma Guns and a Plasma Pistol each. A bunch of Mortar Teams. Four Primera Psychers, a Calexus, Gilliman, and Celestine. So, Zero so ran a very different list from Anagonio. I, I would maybe arguably a less, a less uh, fluffy list and a more of a, a more of a soup list. And he brought Celestine and, and Gilliman and the Clexus Assassin because they're all so good. Uh, he still has the bodies. He doesn't quite have the board presence that that Andrew Gagno has, uh, and he doesn't have quite the Daka, in, in you know, because Gagno has those five Toroxes. Uh, but he still brought all the primary psychers he needed. Tyler DeVries, who I don't even need to look at the app for for his list. Tyler DeVries had a, a very very interesting list. He had. Uh, a bunch of Elysian sniper teams. I think he had like five or six Elysian sniper teams. Three Elysian command squads with three commanders each. Uh, and then uh, Grey Knight's Grandmaster. He had, I think, ten strike squads. 
he yeah he had ten strike squads. No, they no they were he had two units of four strike squads. Sorry, that I meant like ten marine. Anyways, he he had two units of, of two large units of strike squads that he could combat combat squad into four strike squads, and then another another squad. I think it I think it was the um the heavy squad the, the heavy granite squad the purgation squad. So I think he had one of those uh, grandmaster. <clears throat> uh, he had no, he had to have more strike squads. Let me just pull up the list real quick. One second. All right, so he had a patrol detachment with a Grandmaster, a Granite Grandmaster. He had two units of 10 strikes, uh, Purgation Squad, I was correct. All the the Plasma Guns, the Sniper Teams, the Elysian Commanders. Uh, he had three units of Elysian Infantry. The uh, And then one another, un, th another three units of Grey Knights and some Heavy Mortar Teams. Three units of Heavy Mortar Teams. Three Cyber Wolves, just interesting. Another four units of Heavy Mortar Teams. Two Astropaths and Celestine. Wow. So basically, uh, Tyler DeVries' list was he he would cover the board with all the large mortar team bodies, and he was actually explaining this to me, explaining this concept in that uh, the the mortar team, the specifically the Legion Cyber team, takes up so much space for so little points, and he he ran a bunch of those. And he could they could all deep strike, so he would essentially form a a uh, bubble wrap anywhere he wanted, and because he had thirty three drops or something ridiculous, and almost all of his army, or I think everything in his army can deep strike, he can just essentially pick and choose what he wants to start on the board and what he wants to come down. Obviously, the mortar teams can't, and the astrobats can't infill strike, but like 70% of his army can deep strike, so he can pretty much put whatever he wants in deep strike reserve, uh, and then he just kind of puts pressure on his opponent, plays real cagey, plays real interesting. It's just, it's a really interesting Grey Knight list. It's majority Grey Knights, though you you could also get away with calling it Imperial Soup List. But that was Tyler DeVries' list. I thought that was pretty interesting. Uh, Steven Boatwright uh, had an Alpha Legion list. This is basically a Chaos Soup style list with uh, two Fire Raptor gunships, which is, which is pretty cool. Um, Fire Raptors were doing a lot of work throughout the whole weekend. Every time I saw one, I saw my opponent's, the opponent who was playing the Fire Raptor stressed out, you know, thinking about how he was going to deal with it. Uh, so he brought two Fire Raptors, Magnus, some Obliterators, some Havocs, um, small, three units of the Minkulta squads, a Demon Prince, Brimstone Horrors, and two Malefic Lords. So he brought the usual suspects, plus two Fire Raptors, and a Demon Prince, which which were actually people were slowly moving away from. And then, of course, there's Pajama Pants, who ran the same list uh, he did in the Invitational. And then there was Adrian Gennard's Sisters list. And then that list was the exact same list as the Hammer of Wrath. Uh, Adrian Gennard's Hammer of Wrath Sisters list. Uh, he basically he had he had a librarian, a Clexus assassin priest, some Argoflagellants, all all in rhinos, a rhino, and a bunch of uh, repressors and dominions. He had four he has four units of dominions and four units of repressors, uh, and then Celestine. So it, it's like a Sisters of Battle plus Imperial Soup good stuff list. Uh, the Argoflagellants do a lot of work for him, and that's it. That's your that's your top eight um, for the the number one bracket uh, so it you know obviously chaos did take the day there were there were a lot of malefic lords and brimstone ores in the top eight uh, more than i would i would care to admit though one player pretty much had the majority of them so so you know to say that they completely dominated the top eight would would be a little incorrect uh, but uh, the the nova that was the nova open and um that, that was your top eight and those are the players that were playing for the grand prize uh, so, first off, before I go on to the meta analysis, uh, what do you guys think 
uh, from all these all these events, all these lists. Um, you guys might have to go back into the podcast and re-listen to it. It's a lot of information, I understand. But uh, I really wanted to get through it all. And it's been two weeks, and there were a lot of tournaments. And I'm not going to have another episode like this again, where I, I just spend the first hour just dumping tournament news on you guys. Uh, but I also felt like this was very important. And, you know, we needed to talk about this. And I need to tell you guys about all these lists and all these tournaments because they are the core foundation of the competitive community. Moving on to the meta analysis, I, I think obviously the codexes are, are going to throw a big wrench in everyone's plans, right? So, you, you know, you have guard, bodies are really powerful, smite spam is really strong. Uh, I, you can bet your ass that GW is looking at smite very carefully. Um, I obviously, I don't know what they're going to do. I am not in GW headquarters. I, and recent Frankie, of course, will not tell me anything. They, they are playtesters, um, and I'm sure they had a nice little conference with GW at the event. Um, or maybe not. I don't know. Uh, like I said, they don't tell me anything. Um, but I, I, I think it is safe to assume that with so many GW people at Nova <clears throat> who went and and even participated in it, with Pete Foley participated in the Invitational, uh, the you know it has to have uh, Nova has to have at least some sort of impact on the overall competitive community, and so uh, basically the, the meta right now is going to be smite spam, and that'll that'll basically eliminate all of the elite armies, right? Because smite just kills things so efficiently, uh, and you can't really you, elite armies don't really have the tools to to rip bubble wraps away from characters. And if the player with the smite spam positions correctly, they won't get charged and alpha struck off the board and lose all their characters, right? Like what Pajama Fence did to Alex Fennel in the top four in at in the Nova Invitational, because Pajama Fence did beat that crazy super chicken list with all the malefic lords, uh, with an elite style army, all right, a, a quote unquote elite style army. It also had a mix of of bodies, a lot of bodies in there too. So so it is very possible to do. Um, but in general, those those character spam malefic lord lists do really well against elite armies, and the the elite armies in turn all kind of all kind of compete with each other and take each other out, and th those those armies kind of stop the um like the the knight lists right. Actually, they don't. Elite armies just aren't good right now. They're just. <laughs> There, there's not a whole lot of good matchups. They don't do well against horrors. They don't well, don't do well against character spam. Uh, they don't do too well against uh, like super heavies and stuff that just have fewer units to use. Uh, traditionally, elite style armies don't do super well. Uh, Eldar, I think, are the one exception. Eldar have I think the best elite style army build uh, because their their units are all very durable. So the the way Eldar do it is they can they can either take really cheap obsec units. Uh, and and they can they can put them in wave serpents and, and kind of use those to to play the objective game uh, and they're they're very durable and they also have a lot of very lethal shooting that they can take your big stuff your you, you know your toroxes and your basilisks and and all the all the stuff that makes the the horde armies uh, very lethal they can take all those and kill all those and at range and then in return the the horde armies might have a hard time beating the Eldar's vehicles like the the Flyers and the Wave Serpents, uh, and, and then getting to the Dark Reapers, who, who will be doing a number on everything except Conscripts. So so Eldar and Harlequins kind of have that cool, unique elite flair. Um, they, they probably have the best tools for dealing with Guard and, and for dealing with Horde armies, uh, but 
just looking at, at the top eight finishes and how Eldar have performed in general, with the exception of the one Inari list, and that was pre that was pre codexes. So it, it, it Inari just aren't aren't in a good spot right now. Um, I think GW did announce that there was going to be Craftworld Eldar coming up soon, uh, in maybe a month or two. So that'll definitely help Eldar, I'm sure, because the, every codex so far has been nothing but a good thing for its own respective faction. Elite armies are, are kind of falling out of favor. Mal Malefic Lord characters sp smite spam in tandem going well together. And the other, the other thing about smite spam is it fits so well into the final archetype, which is the most dominant one um, right now, which is hordes. And, and horde spamming and bodies. Uh, Gene Steeler Colt does, does it really well. Um, though I think they do it the worst out of everyone. Tyranids do it pretty well with with a lot of genes. There's a lot of bodies, and they mix it up with some big, heavy monstrous creatures, which I think is actually their their downfall. This is why you don't see a like a pure traditional Tyranid list doing well, um, because the, those monsters just end up being so points inefficient that they just don't end up making their points back. And you might even wishing you just find yourself wishing you had more gene stealers. So. Uh, Tyranids, Gene Cynical, obviously do hordes really well. Chaos do hordes extremely well. A uh, Chaos, I think, the Chaos faction and Chaos Space Marines right now are probably the best overall faction. Uh, and, and I've been talking to a lot of Chaos players, and I've been asking them the same question. And uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. I haven't actually dug down and looked look at statistics. Um, and right now, it's clearly Chaos versus Imperium in terms of of which factions are the best in competing for the top spots. But Chaos, I think I personally think that they're the best faction right now. They, they just they have so much. They have hordes, right? So they, they can they can really pull off the horde really well, especially with that Alpha Legion trait that, that regenerates cultists back. Um, speaking of Alpha Legion traits, uh, the minus one to hit gives units like Obliterators and Berserkers and Noise Marines, typical elite-style units. It gives them the durability to... to do their job and do what they're supposed to do and units like noise marines obliterators and berserkers are extremely good at what they do obliterators will just uh, obliterate ha 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 uh vehicles and they deep strike and they just come down and kill the big heavy things they're very good at it um they're they're not they don't have a very big footprint on the board um so you can kind of fit them in wherever you need them to uh, obviously berserkers and noise marines are both good at killing lots of bodies uh, uh not a body single large noise marine squad pretty much wiped out all of my conscripts and all of my mortar teams uh and then some in the invitational game we played and they single-handedly did it all by themselves they just they just drove up popped out shot up all my conscripts uh and ensured that i didn't have a way to protect myself when his berserkers eventually did come out and they did it single-handedly and i'm sure it, the berserkers would have done the same thing if they'd gotten into my ranks so they chaos can play the with the elite units and that do their job really well and not have to worry about them dying immediately and then on top of that uh chaos also has the malefic lords and the smite spam and the really really dirt cheap uh ob objective secured bodies in brims and cultists right so even brims are a problem right now they're they're not i, I think i think they're not as big of a problem as malefic lords and smite spam are um specific not just malefic lords primary primary uh psychers as well the I don't think Brims are as big a problem now. I think they're nerfed just enough to make them not the best unit in the game. But Brimstones are still extremely powerful. Uh, they have the 4-up invuln for their points cost. They're just, they are just—they are still really, really good. And I would say almost a must-take in most Chaos lists. Right? Uh, so 
Chaos does hordes really well. It does uh, it, it's elite units that that not only hit hard but are are easy to protect with the Alpha Legion trait. And then of course you have your you have your uh, smite spam and your psychic shenanigans. Uh, so they they have a lot of tools in in their arsenal. Uh, they can summon so that which which is even further tools and 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 further uh, tactical flexibility that you can use right because you can summon different things for different jobs. Uh, which, which you know, which is very powerful in itself, and and with brimstones being so cheap, you know, just being able to summon brimstones onto an objective, and, and taking thirty points in your army, basically giving you a brimstones quote unquote deep strike, is really powerful, and, and the the flexibility to do that, game by game, is is strong. Right, and then of course, like I said, the psychic powers. Uh, they also have Magnus. They have the the big the big nasty, uh, you know, distraction carnifexes. Uh, they'll get Mortarian soon, who who imagine will be very similar to Magnus in that in that he's tough to kill uh, and also gets in your face, and you have to deal with him. Uh, so uh, whether he'll be really dominant on the tabletop, I don't know, uh, but I imagine he'll fill a very similar role to Magnus um, in that he you know he will he will force your opponent to deal with him, and in the meantime the rest of your army can do its job. So I don't know. I think Chaos obviously obviously Chaos is, did not win. The Nova Open and the Nova Invitational. That was Andrew Gagne's guard list, uh, which was a pure guard list, and I'll explain why that style of horde list is so is so powerful. Um, but I, I think the best overall faction is Chaos, right? Uh, and with the best list being Andrew Gagne's guard list, if that makes any sense. So there's there's like the best lists with with the best combinations, you know, the best tweaks, and then there's the best overall factions that dominate across multiple you know, levels of the 40k gaming spectrum, right? From the casual level to the highest level of competition, right? That Which I think Chaos is currently the winner of. Uh, but moving on to Andrew Gagno's style of horde list, the reason why this style of horde list is so powerful is not only not only can uh, you control the board, you know, very, very well, uh, but he has, he has the smites kind of take out, you know, annoying things like knights, things like he desperately needs to kill. Maybe not knights, um... But like uh, objective, like see things with their toughness five and objective secured, which I know there's not a lot, um, or, or like a, a rhino, right? Like a, a really a, a rhino with an objective objective secured unit inside of it, uh, just something a, a little tougher than the average body, the average guardsman, that he can't just obliterate off the board with his endless amounts of shooting. Uh, that's what Smite takes care of, so he has enough of that. And then the rest of the list is geared towards taking up board space. And killing other armies that take up board space, and that's it. Then that's why his list is so powerful because the the horde mentality uh, makes it so that if you play an elite army, you have way to fire to just flat out kill elite units, right? You you won't you won't table an elite army because you don't you're not that lethal, but you're lethal enough so that if they get close to you, which they eventually will because you have such a large board presence, um, that that focus fire will kill one elite unit. And elite units are so points inefficient uh, that they will, when they eventually start falling, when you eventually start losing models and units that cost so much that are points inefficient, um, it starts to make a big impact on your list. Whereas if Ganyu starts losing units, it's not that big of a deal because he still has most of his list left. Um, so there's that. Uh, and then, of course, it doesn't have to worry about the, the crazy big lists like like the Super Chicken uh, with the Lords of War with the Knights. Um, Imperium shooting Alpha Strike armies because it has it can take the punch and then it could just win the objective game and it just out objectives all of those lists, 
right? And then it, if, when it plays a horde list, it just shoots a horde list off the board, right? And so that's your when you're playing a horde list like this in in a mission setup, your only real counter is other horde lists. Um, so you just design your list to beat other horde lists, and then all of a sudden you don't have no no lists have a real answer to you. Um, I think what might give Ganyo little fits is like like cultists, like Alpha Legion cultists um, that have minus one to hit them and, and take cover, and, you <coughs> and that just get in in Ganyo's face. Um, so so like tough horde lists. I, I'd like to have seen if Ganyo played a Gene Stealer cult player. Um, I don't know. I know I could check, but it's getting a little long, and and I don't. Uh, you know what? I, I'm gonna be right back. One second. I'm just gonna check to see if Ganyo played a uh, Gene Circle player or not. Okay, I'm back, guys. So Ganyo played uh, my but my buddy Eleanor. Um, by the way, if you're listening to this, hi Eleanor. Um, sorry, you got Ganyo round one, uh, who played Sisters. Uh, th then he played a Grey Knights list with Custodes in it, uh, and that was it. It was it was a uh, written in pen kind of poorly so i didn't really i didn't really want to decipher it um but the gist i got was a lot of gray knights and some custodes and then he played a space wolf and assassins and sisters list uh which had about six assassins in very in various varieties uh, a bunch of professors and some space wolves Nial specifically i imagine just a small space wolf detachment to take advantage of the tempest psychic power which is really good uh, and then he played four chaos players in a row he played carlos kaiser nick nonavati steven langan and uh oh i'm not four three chaos players in a row and then adrian Gennard, which is an imperial soup sisters list uh and then kelsey haley with his super chicken and that's it so G ganyo split between four chaos soup lists four chaos soup style lists and four almost imperial soup style lists right with the exception of the the eleanor sister list and the um <clears throat> the uh gray knights list right um that's all ganyo played ganyo played didn't play a single xenos player wh which is really really interesting um and i think the majority of the field was obviously uh imperium and chaos right the, not only are those the two biggest factions um they are the two most popular factions uh they have the two most popular factions internally in them in space marines and chaos demons or chaos space marines Chaos, I think, is just one popular faction. Just consider them one faction. And then Space Marines, of course, are really popular. So are Guard. Guard are extremely popular, too. You know what? Imperium and Chaos are just the most popular factions, no matter which sides you pick, uh, especially compared to the Xenos factions, right? So there were already a lot of Imperium and Chaos army lists at Nova, and it doesn't surprise me that Ganyu played only Imperium and Chaos uh, factions uh, lists, which, which, which is funny. Uh, I personally played a Tyranid player, and that was my only Xeno. Oh, I played an Eldar player, too. I, I got a, a fun mix of everything. I, I got two Chaos players who I lost to, uh, and then I played two Imperium players who I beat and lost to, and then I played two Xenos players who I beat, and I went three and three, uh, and then I only played six games. So... And the Imperium lists I played were actually uh, really... They weren't Imperial Soup lists. The first list I played was Space Marines only. Uh, it was actually a really interesting list, and I, I only lost by one point. Uh, I played three Inceptors, three units the, those, who were the Primaris Inceptors, the Deep Striking Primaris guys. Played three of those, a Storm Raven, Calgar, Gilliman, a unit of Centurions with an Apothecary, and Tigarius. And that was the list. Uh, it was a very, 
very interesting, weird list. And uh, the 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 guy who was running it, uh, Kramer, did pretty well actually. He almost won his bracket, which he was in the same bracket as me. So I was hoping I'd like do well and and reach around and beat him in the finals. Uh, you know, but that didn't happen. So, a uh, Kramer Kramer Doyle, uh, very, kudos to you for bringing such a unique list and doing pretty well with it. Uh, and then the other Imperium, the other Imperium list I played was an Admech list with fifty Electro Priests. And it's like it was it was insane. I, I I was like, oh, I cannot let these touch my army because they will they will destroy anything they touch. Uh, and that was a really fun game because uh, he was a, he was a more of a a fun player. Um, he you know he just came to the event to show off his really pretty Admech army and it was gorgeous. Um, so, so, you know, I, I, I don't want to say I played that game loosely cause I didn't, I played it really tight and I just come off of a, a really, like a really demoralizing loss. Um, so, so I definitely wanted to win that game. So I didn't really pull back except for one moment when instead of not charging the knight with Gilliman, uh, cause I didn't really have an answer to deal with the knight, um, because it was in my face turn two, obviously it was, it's a knight moves very fast. Uh, so instead of maybe moving away from the knight and zoning it and trying to stop it. Uh, I thought Gilman should just charge the knight and kill it and see what happens. So so I, I charged Gilman as soon as I could. Uh, he made the charge. He killed the knight. Uh, but the knight exploded and then killed Gilman, and then Gilman didn't get back up. Uh, so I was playing with Gilman without Gilman for the majority of that game against the admin player. Um, so, you know, it, it was pretty funny. I, I don't, I don't want to say that I went easy on him. Like that wasn't the in the super incorrect play. Uh, you know, it was just the riskier play. Um, but I, re I still needed to kill that night and Gilliman was the fastest way and, and probably the fastest and most efficient way to deal with the night barring really bad luck like that. Uh, so, you know, um, so it, anyways, so I played the Admech player uh, and then the two chaos players I played, I, I didn't, I, I was fortunate to only have played maybe a total of nine malefic lords throughout the whole throughout the whole event right including not of list and the the two chaos players i played so not not terrible uh, i did play a lot of brimstone horrors there, there were a bunch of brimstone horrors obviously and um every player i talked to definitely you know this 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 sentence was i was a common theme as i talked to chaos players throughout the whole event that is uh my list wouldn't be nearly as good without brimstone horrors and malefic horrors or, and Malefic Lords. And, and that was a very common thing. And a lot of Chaos players... Th th I, I felt like they needed to add Malefic Lords and Brimstone Horrors to make their lists viable. Which I don't think they did. Uh, and, and a lot of the, the Chaos lists were actually really unique and different. And they were all very varied. But the, they, you know, every Chaos player did have like the Malefic Lords and Brimstone Horrors. Or most of them. I don't, I don't say every player. I'm sure some people didn't have Malefic Lords and Brimstone Horrors. But the, the, I think the majority of the chaos players felt like they needed those two units to compete. And, uh, as I was talking to players th that kind of seemed to be apparent and, and no one like directly denied that. And so if you played the Nova open and you played chaos and you use those two units, brimstones and malefic Lords, I'd like to know your opinion. You know, you can email me, uh, or you can, you put in the comments in this blog post, and let me know, you know, did the malefic Lords and brimstone horrors help that much? Would you think you would have done just fine without them? Um, who knows? They, they are so cheap that you almost like don't want you almost just auto include them you know you know just like oh i've got an extra 150 points i might as well include some brimstone horrors and malefic lords just just for fun they can be my hq choices or whatever uh but anyways i i don't i don't want to sound like i'm griping um i just i i, I care very much about 
making this game a healthy a healthy game and eighth edition is coming so close to being an absolutely perfect game of 40k you really just need to add the codexes and tweak some small forge world make some small forge world tweaks and you, you, we will have a phenomenal game uh, but the smite spam and the malefic lords and the brimstone horrors and the conscripts are all are all the biggest problem right now and the gw knows that and i think that's the general consensus is that those style of lists are stifling other styles of lists like elite lists from doing really well right so <clears throat> in in tandem with the codexes being released and some slight small nerfs to all of those aspects of the game i think i think that'll be uh that'll be big and that'll make the game a lot of fun uh so that's basically it for the meta analysis guys thanks very much for sticking through with me so after this we're going to go ahead and go into eldari review with with scary from scardcast it was very fun we we just we basically talked about all of the eldar units and and which ones were good and how to deal with them and how to play with them uh, so if you're an eldar player or if you're having trouble dealing with eldar lists it's it's a great great segment to listen to and um i would either i would either recommend stopping here because this was a pretty long segment of just me talking about the meta analysis and comp competition and 40k you can either stop here and then listen to that later, or you can just jump right into it now. But there are two separate main topics to this podcast, and if, like I said, if you if you have if you have trouble dealing with Eldar, or if you want to play Eldar, it's it's a very comprehensive or uh, segment of the podcast. So it's very fun, it's very entertaining. I highly recommend it. Obviously, anyways, guys, thanks very much for listening. Thanks very much for being patient. Uh, hopefully I didn't lose too lose too many of you guys over the last two weeks. Um, I, I, I apologize once again. I should have put some sort of post or something saying why I got delayed. Uh, but I'm sure the majority of you probably understood that it was Nova time. It was really, we, I was really busy. And I'm going to try not to let it happen again. Um, but it might in, in the month of September, which is also really busy for me. Um, anyways, guys, thanks very much for listening. And I'll see you guys right after the commercial break. Hello everyone, welcome to PD Pop Second Handies, the commercial segment about market trends and trade tips that I pick up from running Frontline Gaming Secondhand Shop. Today I'm going to be covering miniature staples that will always sell, no matter the edition. Evergreen models that GW has historically always supported. Perfect example are miniatures that span across both the Chaos Space Marine and Space Marine factions. Rhinos, Land Raiders, Predators, etc. Other models from different factions typically include troops, dedicated transports, and cool-looking popular models like Terminators, Imperial Knights, and Dark Eldar. These models will always sell, no matter the edition, and they are always good models and good investments to purchase while you're searching through eBay. And while you're searching through eBay, don't forget to head on over to FrontlineGaming.org where there is a link to the secondhand shop where we commonly list secondhand 40k items at over 50% off MSRP. Thank you very much, and this has been TD Pop's Second Handies. Hello everyone, and we're back bringing you the main topic for the episode. And since I am not an Eldar player at all, not even in the littlest, littlest at all, like the teensiest bit, hey. I brought Scarry from Scardcast over. Say hi, everyone. Well, hello, everyone. How um, is how is things going on the Californian side of the world? 
Uh, things are things are going pretty well. The the eclipse kind of hit us a little hard. It was a little bright in the morning, but it, it's San Diego, so we're kind of used to the sun. So mm, that's wasn't, true. Wasn't that big of a deal. What about you? Were you in the path of totality? Uh, no, I, I I experienced a solar eclipse when I used to live in Mexico back in the day. Uh huh. Um, that was like when I was what three or four or something like that. And then they, we only had a partial solar eclipse up here on our ways. Um, it wasn't really like a full one. And did that one give you superpowers? Um, by superpowers, do you mean, you know, the random growth on the back of my neck? If Can it talk? Um, I didn't ask it, maybe. Oh, that's very rude. You should definitely quick, ask it one day. Quick trip to the homunculus coven. <laughs> We'll get that Taken growth care of. removed. Yeah, <laughs> give it give it sentience. Put it in a yeah, a, yeah. a rack body or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whatever Thank Dark Elder do, they can just regrow me if anything ever happens. <laughs> Anyways, um, segue aside. Uh, for the main topic of today's episode, uh, Scarry and I are going to talk about uh, Eldar, and ba- basically I wanted to bring you an Eldar 101 episode, um, when we talk about the different factions, the four different factions, that the Eldari you know, uh, faction keyword verse brings to the table. Um, I don't know what Absolutely. to call the major factions, like Imperium and Chaos and the Eldari, but... Ooh, what... ooh, I've got a good name for all Go. those. Slaves. You, you mean you mean everything but your card? Yeah. <laughs> All the slaves. Um, <laughs> anyways, um, uh, so basically, um, what Eldar- Eldari bring to the table as a, a grand faction? Um, so we're going to talk about uh, synergies. We're going to talk about Skari and his recent performance at Capital City Bloodbath. Um, Correct. Which uh, I believe I, I I know you told me, but I forgot. Already, Scary. How how did you do at the Capital City Bloodbath? Uh, I I finished middle of the pack, so I was uh, twenty five out of fifty four. Okay. Um, with nice. essentially a fifty fifty. Um, yeah, no, it was a lot of fun, but we'll we'll get to that for sure. Yeah. All right. Right on. Um, and before we get to that, uh, I just wanted to ask you, how are you enjoying Eighth Edition? It's been it's been a while since you've been on the last chapter tactics when we talked about Eldar. Um, how, how has Eighth Edition been treating you, and how have you been developing your Dark Eldar? Um, I'm loving Eighth Edition. I feel that I've had more fun on with Eighth Edition than I have since about Third or Fourth Edition. Um, you know, back when in back in the day, uh, and with the Armageddon mm-hmm. Codex when I was playing my Black Templars. Wow. And um, you know, and it's it's definitely I, I just the feel is it, it feels like a game again, which, you know, it's it's just a lot to say. And and it's really, really nice to see all the different players and people coming out of the woodwork to play the game. You know, so many people who had left the hobby, you know, just randomly showing up for game nights and, and all of a sudden them pulling out their old their old space marine armies and their elder armies and their orc armies and their tyranids. So it's been really nice to see just the growth of, of the hobby in the last, you know, six weeks. Right. And um, as, a, as you guys just heard, listeners, uh, the Capital City Bloodbath Top 8 was extremely diverse. Um, yeah. The, the Top 8 had like uh, 
Custodes army, which is just technically not an ITC faction because you can't make a Custodes detachment. But um, I still give the props for for running mostly the mostly from the like more than half of his army from the Custodes faction. Oh, we had uh, it was um, uh, Kevin Armitage from yes. the Basement Collective, right? Yes, Kevin. Um, you know they, uh, yeah they, they uh, they uh, they do battle reports and whatnot as well. And he decided to run a Custodes list. Uh, it's funny because I just finished listening to your last week's episode of t- Chapter Tactics, mm-hmm. um, talking about the Imperial Soup. And uh, the thing you said about Custodes was, they suck, let's move on. <laughs> yeah. so, as, as soon um... as... <laughs> As soon, yeah, as soon as as soon as I recorded that episode, uh, <laughs> someone had to go and make a top eight with custodians. Now, to be fair, yeah, yeah, yeah. to be fair to me, um, they he didn't. He only had one unit of custo- actual um, custodians. He had three land raiders and yes. one custodians, three venerable land raiders. Now, and he did have a bunch of assassins and right, like right. it wasn't just custodians, <laughs> but it was definitely like it. You know, the venerable land raiders I think were the meat and potatoes of the list. Yes, absolutely. And you can only have venerable land raiders in a custodians army or from the custodians mm-hmm. faction. Anyways, kudos to Kevin, regardless of the list. Um, it, it's it's extremely rare to see people do well at those lists. And actually, speaking of rare lists, um, there was a the be- the one list that won best overall, and I think got fourth or fifth place. Um, at War Games Con, ran like twelve assassins, and that was that was uh, an Imperium list, not an assassin keyword list. But um, he essentially essentially was an assassin list. It like Gilliam and yeah. twelve assassins. So it's it's just it's really cool. I, I do agree with you in that there are people coming out of the woodworks, and Eighth Edition is extremely diverse. Um, I feel like every faction has access to a competitive build, but yeah. not every every internal build in every faction is competitive, right? So, like, you can run, like, Orc Hordes and Killicans, um, but, like, you might not do so well with Gretchen Spam, right? If, you, if you're... Yes. Yeah. So, it, it's... Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, uh, I, I, I'm not going to drone on anymore about Capital City Bloodbath. I, I probably talked it to death in the previous episode, in the previous um, tournament news segment before this. Uh, but, uh, basically, uh, I'm glad to hear that you're Dark Eldar, that you were able to bust out the Dark Eldar um, yeah. and not have to worry about bringing Eldar allies as much. I didn't take any allies. I took straight up Drukhari, nice. so straight up Dark Eldar. Um, I didn't even take an optimized list. Um, I essentially put all the models that I had more than tabletop painted standard to one side, and I made a list based on the models that I had painted to a higher standard than some of my you know, more filler units that I use for more competitive games. Mm-hmm. Um, so, good. yeah, and, and they, and I, I went three and three and, uh, the, you know, it was, it was, it was fantastic. I had, a, I had an absolute blast. The, the one thing I really like about this edition as well is, um, doing that, like, uh, I, I do that often as well. I recently just sold all my ultramarines and restarted and re- I'm refinding my love for the hobby. Um, I learned how to airbrush for the first time, but um, nice. basically, before I did that, I would just get like all the painted models I could, and I could actually compete with everything I had lying around, right? Like I yeah. felt like last edition I couldn't really do that, um, but this edition I'm finding more and more that I'm just grabbing like random armies that we have in the studio when we need to like throw together a battle report, um, or if yeah. I want to teach someone how to play, et cetera, et cetera. 
um, I, I'm finding that doing what you did, it, and, and you know, it's not bad. And it's true for you. I mean, you're obviously you're not a bad player. You're a good player, uh, and you went three and three with basically what you wanted to throw together, right? And, yeah, you know, it, and and it just is a testament to to how the game it has 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 a higher weighted element in in um, like player skill and not just uh, mathematics. Yes. Uh, you know, even though math and statistics and is is a big part of the game, um, you know, maneuvering and moving and and having very good line of sight blocking pieces of terrain, uh, which the you know all the tables at the Capital City Bloodbath were fantastic. Had lots of varied terrain, so it wasn't just like shooting gallery. Um, it really allowed for some great tactical level gameplay. And the Dark Eldar, for example, and all the other Eldari um, factions really thrive in a format that allows for that very close, tightly knit, thought out, you know, tactical gameplay on it on a on a you know one on one basis. You know, it's like a war of the minds. It is. Um, that's actually a good way to to a good way to explain Eighth Edition. Um, it is very much more cerebral than Seventh Edition, which was a little bit more um, uh, combo-y. Uh, and like, like the lists in Seventh Edition and the list crafting, I think, was probably a little bit more intricate um, for obvious reasons. They had like a billion codexes to draw from, but um, in Eighth Edition, it is definitely more on the table, cerebral movement. Like you said, is extremely important. Um, and it's it's just I think it's a better game, honestly. Yeah, it's definitely a better game. And don't get me wrong, there's still tons of different like tactical nuances when it comes to building a list as well. Mm -hmm. Like it's That's not, true. you know, it's it, it, the auras and the buffs and the keywords, you know, make it all the more important to create a list that kind of takes advantage of uh, key elements of the game. And um, and I really find that it that it lends itself very well to somebody who has really thought about the the dynamic between the different units in the list. Yes. And I imagine it's only going to get better when all the codexes start coming out. Oh, 100%. Like right. we we the Cabal City Bloodbath was an index only event. Oh. Um yeah, so we only had indexes because um you know not all the codexes have been released. Okay. So it's kind of like keeping everybody on a sort of level playing field. I like that. Um, yeah, so it was it was it was a good way to kind of usher in the new edition. Uh, but now that we're starting to get more and more codexes and with a very aggressive release schedule, I could see most books and most uh, releases having um, having a book soon. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. I think as a TO, um, you should probably consider what you know where the release is, your local area. Um, but I think if you're like, oh, if you want to plan on running a major like the Iron Halo, um, you know, I think you might just want to consider letting all the books in up to a certain date, uh, and then mm -hmm. just leave it at that. Uh, anyways, yeah. so your Dark Eldar list. Let's talk about yeah. it. Yeah. What was in it? Okay. Okay. So my Dark Eldar list was a battalion detachment. Okay. Uh, so straight up plus three command points. I find that having about five to six or six to seven command points is almost mandatory just so you can have enough rerolls and things like that as well. Um, and I ran an Archon. He's the cheapest uh, Dark Eldar HQ. And I just have a soft spot for my Archon because he's one of my like nicely painted models, etc. Um, 
And I ran him with an agonizer. So he was tricked out with a basic agonizer, which is a wound on four plus against uh, anything that isn't a tank weapon. And, um, uh, and a splinter pistol and a phantasm grenade launcher, which um, allows me to uh, shoot a unit and subtract their leadership if I hit. That's actually which is pretty, pretty cool. cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's neat. It's uh, it was, it's good, you know. You especially when you're trying to, you know, um, we were playing ETC style missions. So in the ETC, you have uh, Maelstrom on top of like some Eternal War style missions. So having things that can do uh, that can help you with psychological warfare and things, for example, and allow help people fail morale tests really, really comes in handy. Um, and it's an 18 inch weapon, so it's pretty cool. You can just shoot it from far away and, and just kind of help yeah, turn assault, the tide. So you can move yeah, it's assault, and, yeah. D3, D, uh, D3 shots, you know, hitting on twos. It's not going to wound anything because it's only like strength <laughs> one or whatever, but uh, I did take a wound off of a rhino with it once, though. Nice. That's yeah, important. of course. Yeah, <laughs> my, my poison weapons were doing more wounds on rhinos than my lances sometimes. Wow. Yeah, well, you know. It's when you need sixes, you seem to roll it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, I went into it. Then I had a succubus. Uh, succubus is the witch HQ. Um, absolutely phenomenal HQ. Love the succubus. She is um, by far one of my favorite HQs, uh, followed closely by the homunculus. I just didn't have my homunculus um, painted up to a standard for the tournament. Um but uh, she is phenomenal. Uh, you know, she, I give her the plus one attack combat drug. So she has uh, five attacks. Uh, she has a strength five minus three AP weapon in combat. Do you, um, do you just get to pick which combat drug they get? Yeah, yeah, you can just pick the combat drug. Um, mm-hmm. You just can't pick the same one twice until, okay. until you've picked all of them at least once. So in my list, I had my succubus, I had a unit of Reva jet bikes, and I had a unit of witches. And so every game, I would pick usually plus one toughness for the witches to make them toughness four. I would pick plus two inches of movement for my Reva jet bikes to make them movement 18. Yikes. And then I would make um, my uh, succubus plus one attack, so she would have six attacks. That's That's actually really cool. I do like... That Dark Eldar can kind of craft their own cool, lethal combination. Yeah, it's uh, honestly, after playing Dark Eldar for so many years and having to rely on that stupid role for combat drugs, <laughs> um, it's a breath of fresh air to just be like, oh, I'm playing somebody with a lot of bolters. Okay, all my, all my uh, Helions are getting plus one toughness today. Or, oh, I'm playing somebody with a lot of assault cannons. Okay, all of a sudden, all my witches get plus one toughness, and now you wound them on threes instead of twos. So, so you know, so, it's... Go ahead. Hmm? No, it's okay. What was your oh, question? I was going to say, so So speaking of from Power From Pain, um, as the the six, the on a six, you ignore wounds, does that help? Did that come into effect a lot? Because I know... It did, yes. Yes? Okay. Yes, very much so. Um, you know... C- ignoring wounds on a six or ignoring damage on a six or whatever is absolutely phenomenal. Um, you know, it's like, it's so much better than it was in, in seventh edition because it comes into play more often. 
um, you know, there's nothing that can ignore it like double strength or, or um, you know, things that ignored feel no pain or whatever. Right. It's right. a save that you essentially get to make every single time. And now that bolters don't ignore my armor, I'm usually, especially with Cab Light Warriors, for example, I'm getting a five up save or a four up save if they're in cover and a six up save. Right. So and then, it makes them very resilient against small arms fire. But that's actually, and then your witches would be toughness four too. Yeah, if I gave them the combat drugs, that's toughness four. So now they're getting wounded on fours and they get a six up save and they get a six up save. Wow. That's so, really yeah. strong. That's mm -hmm. cool. I like yeah, it. and it's a good dynamic, especially you know, with considering how the Dark Eldar are normally quite fragile. All right. So, so what else? What else did you have in your list? So, um, I ran a unit of Trueborn. So it's seven Cabalite Trueborn. Um, I ran four blasters and two splinter cannons and one rifle. So it was uh, just a multi-purpose unit. Um, they went in a raider with a disintegrator cannon, and usually ran with my Archon. Okay. Uh, blasters are fantastic, and Trueborn with Splinter Cannons are cheaper than a Venom. So it was essentially like adding a Venom into my list without having to put another drop down. Um, then I, I had a unit of five Mandrakes. Now, Mandrakes got a huge boost in, in 8th edition, and they're one of my favorite, they've always been one of my favorite units. And uh, with their ability to essentially have the deep strike mechanic, uh, they have a minus one to hit them inherently built in. They have an invulnerable save, and they have a AP minus one assault two bolter that causes mortal wounds on a six plus two wound. Ooh, that's pretty good. Yeah, so they would pop up and usually just wreck something, or or pick off like the last couple of wounds on like a tank or something with those mortal wounds. So they were really good at turning the tide on like a very specific part of the battle or getting through like um, the invulnerable save on a tough character that was in the backfield or, you know, just generally being a nuisance. So that's why I like the Mandrakes. Yeah, and they're only 95 points too, which isn't yeah. terrible. No, it's not bad. Uh, and they're not bad in combat either. They have three attacks each, strength four. And, um, and uh, yeah. And and then minus one to hit. So if you run them into a into a big line of tanks, uh, tanks won't be able to hit them with a six plus to hit. That's really which good. Which is great. Yeah, it's actually really nasty. Uh, so I had five of them, um, and then for troops I had three. Uh, sorry, two units of Cablite warriors with blasters. So they were two little five man units with blasters. And I put them both in one raider to make it one drop. So two units of five in a raider. Okay. And then I had um, uh, eight witches, so eight witches with an agonizer hecatrix. Um, they were just like my witch. They were just a close combat, -y, more of a tarpit than a close combat killer unit, because witches uh, can hold infantry up and they can't run away, so they can't fall back out of combat, which came in handy quite a few times. And um, and then in fast attack, I had six reaver jet bikes. And five Scourge. And this is where the optimization came into play. I gave all of my, um, all of my uh, Reavers and um, Scourge that could Heat Lances. Now, Heat Lances are good. They're a Strength 6 AP5 Melter Gun, essentially. But um, they're only Strength 6. Yeah, that's and rough. 
even though they do a lot of damage, you need to roll fives to wound more often than not. And when they do wound, they do a lot of damage. But if they, they it's, it's rare that they will wound. You know, ideally in an optimized Dark Eldar list, you will be seeing a lot more lances on the Scourge and blasters on the Reaver jet bikes, which is what I would have run if I had the models painted up. Okay. And and that would save me a whole bunch of points. And then in H in heavy support, I was running two triple lance ravages because they are amazing. They are. I was running a void uh, raven bomber with void lances and a missiles as well. And that void raven bomber is absolutely phenomenal. I love the bomb that it has. It's really good. Uh, it does mortal wounds on a three plus, which is great when it drops the bomb. And then a Razorwing jet fighter with lances, which is a very versatile little fighter plane. Has lances and the missiles. You can pick and choose what missiles you want depending on the target. So all in all, two thousand points. Um, you know, uh, and I say unoptimized because uh, you know after the tournament, I did the math on the things I would change, and I saved about a hundred and forty points. Wow. Which uh, meant that I would have been able to add, you know, a unit of uh, ten uh, razor wings, which would have actually been really useful. Uh, you mean razor wing flocks? Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, they're helpful. Because they're, they're great for, like, screening and things like that as well. Wow, sorry. Um, sorry, I'm just a little quiet. I, I'm actually digesting everything you're telling me, and I'm reading these as you go over them. And the Void Raven Bomber, uh, I have no idea what Frankie is talking about. This thing actually looks pretty good. Yeah, the, Vo the Void Raven Bomber it has been an ace in the hole for me almost every game that I've played it. It has gotten me first blood more times than I can than I can count. Well, it has assault D six, strength seven minus one AP missiles shots. Well, that's the 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 missiles are that's 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 not the that's not the bit the good part. The good part is the bomb. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. So so yeah. So the bomb is um you pick one in a unit. You roll three D six for each vehicle or monster. Or 1d6 for every other model in the unit. So if they have, like, 20, you roll 10d6, right? Mm -hmm. And then on a 3-plus for every d6 you roll, they suffer a mortal wound, with, mm -hmm. with which I imagine combined with, like, uh, leadership shenanigans on, on um, you know, minus one leadership just from the things like Dark Eldar brings. You mm -hmm. start probably piling up uh, leadership tests on big units. Um, also, just being able to cut a big unit down by a third with one I there was there was more more often than not that my razor wing would fly over a unit of 10 anythings and turn it into a unit of 3 or 2 anythings wow um and you know that in and of itself was so strong and my opponents were so flabbergasted by it because all of a sudden their big tough nasty you know unit of you know warp spiders or something had suddenly become a unit of two warp spiders right and, and it's even it's even good because it can do up to three mortal wounds to uh like a, a vehicle too which which yeah. might not sound like a lot for something with like 12 wounds but when you're like gunning down a hemlock wraith fighter or magnus the red or you know gilliman or or whoever whatever right like whatever yeah. big hard to kill unit every wound counts 
Um, Every wound counts. And the Void Raven's not easy to take down. Um, I know it has a four nope. save. It's toughness six, um, so it seems kind of easy. But the five up invuln against ranged weapons and the minus one to hit actually makes it durable. Um, now, how many points is a Void Raven bomber? It's a hundred and like sixty nine points or something stock. Okay. And then I would run it with the uh, with the missiles, which adds twenty five points. So it is almost two hundred points for the tank. Mm. You know, uh, definitely not a super like efficient efficient unit, but it did two things. Number one, it drew a lot of firepower. Um, and number two, it that bomb is something that the opponent really had to keep in mind if they didn't want a unit to just get isolated and destroyed. Right. Now, would you would you consider dropping them down to Void Lances and running a second one? No, no. I, I have, The Void Lances come stock. They have the missiles and the Void Lances. Oh, they don't okay. lose. They don't lose the Void Lances for taking the missiles. All, right. All the missiles does is it adds some versatility once it's dropped its bomb. But um, after playing six rounds at the event, yes, I did not need the missiles. I could have just kept it with the bomb. Nice. That's good stuff. Sorry, I thought the missiles replaced the Void Lance for a second. My mistake. That's okay. all good. All right, so let's. So your list, actually, I do like your list a lot. Um, I like how how um, it's very mobile and there's multiple threat vectors that your opponent has to deal with. Um, you know, there's like the Reavers with the Heat Lances. Uh, mo not, yeah, Reaver Jet, but yes. Uh, yeah. Moving up, you know, threatening like important stuff, uh, vehicles, etc. The Void Raven Bombers in your face. Uh, Mandrakes can be in your face threatening charges on key things. Um, witches are coming in behind them. Witches are pretty fast. Uh, and then in the meantime, you've got these the two Ravagers and all the shooting from the Warriors and everything, basically everything else in your army. Uh, it's just it sounds like a really fun list to play. Sounds very yeah, Eldari. Yeah, it was a very, very, very entertaining list to play, and um, you know it, it it really did, and it and and it really allowed the versatility to fight a variety of different lists as well. Okay. Like I I didn't feel like I was shoehorned against any list, any one particular list. You felt like you could take. It was a good take all comers list. Yeah, it was definitely a take all comers style list, and I didn't feel that I couldn't have dealt with any and all of these situations that I had arrayed against me. Right, right. That's good. Um, so let's talk about your your the list that you did play. So you went three and three, like you said. Um, yeah. Tell me about every all the games. Just give me like a cliff notes for each game. Okay. Yeah, for sure. So first game I played against a, a Space Marine. Uh, just a chapter Space Marine list with a uh, Cataphracty Terminator Captain and uh, Devastator Centurions in a Land Raider Crusader with Kronos, uh, three Predator Destructors with Predator Autocannons and Heavy Bolters, and, um, and then two, sorry, three tactical units of Marines in Rhinos as well. So very like, uh, you know, bubbly style Marine list. Uh, he did have first turn because he had the drops on me. We were playing um, number of drops uh, finished goes first, ETC okay. style. And uh, his first turn, I got very lucky and didn't lose any of my raiders to the uh, long-range uh, autocannons. Wow, you mean the Ravagers? No, I didn't lose any of my tanks at all to oh. his autocannons. Wow. Yeah, lucky. which was which was really good. That five plus invulnerable save and the minus one to hit on my flies really helped. I did. It was hammer and anvil, so I had deployed really out of range, uh, knowing that I was going to go second, and um, 
and as far and as out of line of sight as physically possible. So it wasn't like I was going to make it easy for him. That's good. Yeah. And then, um, and then what happened was my first turn, Void Raven Bomber flew 72 inches up the board, dropped a bomb on one of the tactical units that was in, uh, in a building the, that had a last cannon on it and killed all five of them that were there. Nice. Gaining me first blood in the first go <laughs> in the movement phase, which Dang. is awesome. And then my lances proceeded in uh, just like whittling down his predators. Um, and I was able to get a foothold in that list. So all in all, I, I, I got into the middle quick and, and just really put a lot of pressure on his backfield with my deep strikers, um, forced him out of his transports and then blew the transports up. And then it was it was... He, he found it very hard-pressed to get onto the objectives by the end of the game at that point. Right, because at that point you had a numbers advantage. Um, yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Um, so onto my second game, I played a gentleman from Windsor, Ontario. A very nice chap. Um, drove about seven hours to get to the event, which was Jeez. incredible. Yeah, like crazy. Um, and he was running Swarm Lord. 40 Gene Stealers, um, two Trigon Primes, a big pack of 20 Hormagaunts, Hive Guard, and Tyrant Guard. Wow, that's a that sounds like he dug his Tyranids out and decided he wanted to play the blue all the dust off. Oh, and he and he it was not a it was not, it was a nasty list like really? it's not. Well, 40 gene stealers coming out of holes, um, getting yeah, moved by sense. the swarm lord. That's, that's true. I was focusing more about the hive guard and the tyrant guard. No, the the tyrant guard go with the swarm lord, so you can't nuke the swarm lord with shooting until you kill the hive guard. Right, and then they're, they're and hard then to the, kill, I imagine. Well, yeah, but the swarm lord has his six-up warlord save. Then he can catalyst himself. So he's got six up, six up, six up, or whatever, like, and his invulnerable save. And then if he fails anything, he just passes it over to the tyrant guard. Yikes. So, okay, that's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so, fair enough. So um, <laughs> um, he ended up going first, and he didn't bring in his geniuses on the first turn. And uh, he did have an exocrine as well, and his exocrine failed to kill my Void Raven bomber. Um, with his first turn shooting, so he failed to get first blood off me. Um, and then on my turn, I, I screened my army with my flyers and my Reaver jet bikes because I knew the gene Sears would eat me alive. And I shot everything into the hive guard um, to kill the hive guard because they don't have all the rerolls. So then I could focus on Swarm Lord later in the game. Um, and then his second turn, he uh, he brought in his gene stealers, and they just ate. They were just started to eat my army because it's forty gene stealers. It was crazy. Uh, I ended up surviving that game with two, three models left on the table. Wow! And he had he had about twenty models left on the table. But at the end of the day, I was on the objectives, and uh, he was not. Dang! That and, sounds, uh, that's crazy. Yeah, it was a very it was a tight game, and we had some maelstroms as well. So I had a, I was able to get a few maelstrom cards on top of him, and uh, and and uh, and it just it kind of I believe that I believe time was called, and we ended on like turn five. Wow. Yeah. So that was an intense game. I was I was very nervous that game, but I was very pleasantly surprised with how my witches performed and my reavers against 
a horde of tyranids. Okay. Um, yeah, and then th- my third game was one of my more intense games of the entire tournament. I played against Devin Swan. Uh, he's the number one ranked ITC player in Canada. Ooh. And he was playing 50 Inari Warp Spiders. Okay. All right. So so we're going to have to pause real quick while I look up the Warp Spider. Um, because I haven't... Yeah. I don't know what they do You don't do actually anymore. know what it does anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so Warp Spiders are essentially the same sort of gun, except now, you know, they get two shots apiece, uh, 12 inches. Um, they're the same sort of Warp Spider. They move seven inches plus... Um, plus 46 inches for their warp jumps now. So, you know, they move, they still move really, really fast. And he was running 50 warp spiders, a warlock on a jet bike, an, an, an autark on a jet bike, a farseer on a jet bike, Ivrain, so cat lady, and the incarn for 2,000 points. And all the warp spiders were in big blocks of 10. Yikes. And essentially, the army is designed to walk up to you in a blob. So a big blob of 50 warp spiders surrounding all these characters. You know, warp spiders have flicker jumps still, but they don't move when they flicker jump. They, you suffer a minus one to hit them when they flicker jump. Oh, and then on a two, on 2d6, if you roll a two... Yeah, uh, then one of them dies. A, a model. Yeah. That's, that's actually... That's, so they basically have a minus one to hit. Yes. Now combine that with the warlock in the middle of the blob with conceal. Oh, so they have a minus two to hit. Yikes. Yes. Okay. Right. So he's got a minus two to hit any of these giant warp spider units. And if you kill any of them, they all soul burst. Yeah. Which is, yeah, yeah, which is pretty nasty. <laughs> can they, now, can um, they warp jump generator? Can they use their warp jump when they soul burst? Yeah, it's just a it's just a move. Yeah, and move. Yeah, because they count as oh man. So yeah. he could he could potentially, you know, move another unit forty six inches plus seven into shooting range if you kill something. Yeah, and then just yeah. activate, and then oh yeah. So it's it's a it's a very synergistic style army. Okay. And uh, you know, so I knew it was not going to be an easy match. And uh, and so he deployed in a big bubble, like a, just a big castle. Okay. And I and I and I just kind of deployed very counter deployed him. So he ended up giving me first turn, which I believe was one of the biggest mistakes he made. But he, he just thought that he wasn't going to be able to get to me on one turn, and he wanted me to get closer to him or to make the first move, which I understand. But then what happened was my Void Raven bomber flew over and blew up eight of eight of uh, eight of one unit of warp spiders yikes with its bomb and then that allowed me to finish off the other units of the uh, that same unit of warp spiders with um with the rest of my shooting so i got first blood which was i knew was going to be huge that game okay so do you think what was the deployment type uh dawn of war Okay, so he, yeah, he definitely could have gotten to you if he'd wanted to, and possibly gotten first blood. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that so he up. made he did yeah he did make a bit of a mistake in my opinion um, on that aspect, uh, but I you know of course I just had to capitalize on that in the moment. Okay. Um, 
And then, uh, then the Incarn came out, and because the Incarn was placed in a certain way, I was able to shoot the Incarn and slowly brought the Incarn down. Um, and then she regained some wounds and killed my flyer. And all in all, it was such a bloodbath. I was able to get a lot of Maelstrom card points. And at the end of the game, I only had five models left, and he only had four models left alive. Oh, no. That's awesome. And uh, and so I won because I got like Lime Breaker and like twenty Maelstrom points to his like five Maelstrom points, and I had gotten his uh, Warlord as well, and he killed pretty much everything of mine too. It was it was a brutal brutal game, but a lot of fun and a very like tough tactical match. Right. So so this was day one, right? Yes, so, still day one. Yeah. So you went into day one undefeated with Dark Eldar. Yes. Oh. Um and. And then it was round four, so we had four rounds on the first day. Oh wow, that's a that's a long day. It was, yeah, definitely yeah. a long day. And that's where and that's where like my my <laughs> my stamina kind of crumbled a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so I ended up end of so last round of day one, um, they ranked the tables, and I was on table one, <laughs> round four. Um, and I played against Eric uh, from Quebec, and his. Um, Magnus, uh, Changeling, 60 Brimstones, and two uh, Renegade Knights with Araman as well. So the guy who won the whole thing eventually. Exactly. Wow. So so I ended up getting paired against him. And um, so it was uh, table quarter deployment, and he just flew Magnus right into my face because he he had less drops than me, so he went first. Now, I have played this matchup before, and I knew I had a chance. Um, but his first turn, everything he shot at died. Uh-oh, with the Renegade, everything. Renegade died, Every, So if he, if he shot at something, it died. So I lost my Ravager, uh, one of my Ravagers, both my Flyers, all three of my Raiders, like, in, like, one turn. Wow. Now, Yeah. okay, so if that hadn't happened, how, how would you normally deal with that list? Um, I, how I normally deal with it is I have to take out one of the Knights. Okay, okay. I have to, like, Magnus can go around killing a bunch of stuff, you know? I spread out and I kill a knight. Because the knights are the things with their shooting that that deal with lots of multiple targets. Um, You know, based on how the game went, though, I had to take Magnus out. I was able to take him out in one turn of shooting with, like, the remnants of my army. But then, of course, the knights were what just mopped up the rest of my army. Okay. So essentially, at the end of the game, I had one model left alive, which is my Archon running away from a knight. And then the game finished. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, so <laughs> it sounds like you had a brutal turn one. Um, it was pretty brutal, yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. All right. So let's go on to round five. So then round five, um, ended up playing Justin Sparks. Um, he's uh, on the ETC Canada team. Okay. And so he was playing his ETC list, um, which was six units of Devastator Marines with two last cannons and a cherub in six Razorbacks with twin assault cannons. And they're all Dark Angels. So he had an Azrael, a Dark Shroud. Um, and then he had a Kalexus Assassin, two units of Ratlings for sniping, and a, um, and a Celestine. With one of the uh, Gemini. Okay. Nice. 
So that that sounds that sounds like a like a imperial soup list. Yeah, definitely imperial soup list. You know, very based on an on a turn one alpha strike list. Mm-hmm. You know, he he has minimum drops because he puts all the devastators into the razorbacks, and then on the first turn you have six devastator squads pop out with rerolls from Azrael shooting uh, twelve last cannon shots downrange, and then shooting an additional you know six last cannon shots with the cherubs. Okay, did, I'm sorry. Did you say they were they were were they ass backs or last cannon razorbacks? No, no, they're assault cannon razorbacks. Okay, so we they had were last cannons. Oh, okay. I see. We had last cannon, cannon devastators. devastators and and assault yeah. cannon razorbacks. Got so he's it. looking at you're looking at 18 last cannons downrange turn one. Right, and then they all have a four plus plus because of Azrael. They have and... four plus plus, and then they you're a minus one to hit them for the dark shroud, and they have the reroll hits as well. Right, and then Celestine can activate herself up the board. Yeah, 24-inch and... movement, and then you've got the Kalexus to shut down any sh- psychic shenanigans. Right, that's net. That and then like he's got list. the Rattlings to take out the Changeling. Yeah. So how so how did you end up faring against that list? So um, he went first that game, and I got off light. Um, he only he only killed two of my raiders with 18 last cannons, um, which was very lucky for me on the first turn. That's very very lucky. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, and so my first turn, I flew my Void Raven bomber over, killed a unit of tactical marines with the bomb again, okay. which was good. But he had already gotten first blood. And then I um, proceeded in shooting the Dark Shroud, and it exploded in the middle of his lines and killed, like, and did 10 times more damage than I would have ever done with my army. Right, because the Devastators were all out of their razorbacks by then mm-hmm. yeah right. so i he lost like 15 marines oh. by mortal wounds and he lost all these different um mortal wounds on all the razorbacks yes and then what happened was in my because i had brought down my reserves early because i knew i needed them to tie up some razorbacks to prevent Pete, him from shooting at me and um uh all but one of my charges failed oh no so yeah so um, my Mandrakes failed to charge. Uh, my Reaver jet bikes did get tied in, and they were able to stop three of the Razorbacks from shooting the next okay. round. That's good. Um, but I did. Uh, but what it meant was that he still had three Razorbacks left to shoot, so he was able to mop up my my reserve units. And then the last cannons did get a little luckier, and started taking out some of my tanks. Oh, and from there it was downhill. Uh, well, it it wasn't over yet. Okay. Then he boosted Celestine up. Now, the thing is, the mission was the relic, and he had infiltrated his Kalexus onto the relic and essentially grabbed the relic from the beginning of the game. So it was going to be very hard for me to get it because uh, the bubble kind of moved right around him at that point. Okay. And, um, and, then, um, uh, and then I tried to tie Celestine up with the witches because I knew that Celestine's an infantry model. So... If I can tie her up with the with the witches, she wasn't going to be able to bounce around like crazy. Okay. Um, but I did fail my charge with the witches as well. Oh. Two, two turns in a row. <laughs> mm. So for two turns, I wasn't able to stop Celestine, and she just went to town on the back of my army. So I was I at that point that was pretty much game. Well, the, now the witches have an invul save in close combat, right? They do. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So. 
So they could they could probably hold up Celestine pretty well. Actually. Yeah, for a couple of turns. Yeah, they they would have been able to probably hold her up for one or two turns. But that's all I needed to get into position to really start taking out some of his tanks. Uh, but with Celestine running rampant in the back of my lines, it was it was very very hard for me to amount to to anything without just getting slaughtered by her super strength seven two damage sword. Yeah, her assault cannon shots in close combat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it, which is she's really really good, and with a double move, there was no hiding from her either. Yeah. Um. So, and then let's talk about your final game, and then we'll go ahead and jump into uh, a little bit more about Dark Eldar, and we'll get into the rest of the factions. Yeah, for sure. And then my final game, I played another Imperial um, Space Marine army uh, with Razorbacks. Uh, this time they were uh, twin last cannon Razorbacks, and uh, they had Gulliman uh, nearby instead of Azrael. And he had three Storm Talons. So he took uh, first turn and went in and um, didn't do as much damage. He got first blood off a raider um, with his Storm Talons. And then my first turn, I, um, I didn't kill anything, which was very mm. odd for the tournament. I just, uh, my lances did not do anything at all. <laughs> wow. So, so I couldn't kill. I was hoping to kill at least one Razorback and a Storm Storm Talon, and I didn't. I brought a Storm Talon down to like three wounds, and that was like it. Now, did you think if so, you if you would have had uh, blasters, do you think you probably no no the the Storm Talons Storm Talons are toughness four a uh, six, so the Heat Lances had a really good chance of doing a lot of damage to them. Right. Um. But it was uh, yeah. So it was mostly just missing. So um, you know having all my heat lances from both the Reavers and the Scourge missing, and then having all the lances not hit or not wound. Okay. Um, so, but I, I'd put myself in a position that he, his return fire wasn't able to do much either. So it was like a very cat and mouse game. And at the end of it, he, it was a kill point match. So he, he, he pulled it over by like four points so it was a very close game. It wasn't like a sweep in, in any sense of the of the word. Okay, well that's good. That's as long as the last game wasn't, you know. Yeah, yeah. Sweep. The last game was was very close. Still a very tough match. You know, Gulliman is an absolute tank. Um, you know, and Cronus in a land raider is really really good too. Okay. Um, but yes, definitely a really fun match. So I'm uh, very pleased with the results and went straight to the drawing board on the way back and. I kind of know exactly what route I want to take with the list now as well. Nice. So, so talk about that real quick. What, what do you? We we did talk about you. You said you had 140, 160 points. Um, but yeah. is there any other direction you want to take the list? So, uh, the, essentially, the the biggest change will be now that we're that I'm assuming the implementation of the um, plus one to go first if you deploy first will come into play. Mm -hmm. Means that playing the drops won't be as much of an issue. Yes. Um, but there's, uh, so the biggest thing that I'll be looking at is getting the blasters in, uh, getting a big chaff unit in the form of a, uh, the Razorwing Flocks, or I was looking at running Illyrith oh. and a unit of Rangers right. from the Craft World book, which are the snipers. Time to bust out my, my Eldar. Illyrith is one of the, the Phoenix, characters. Phoenix, uh, lords right no she's the um not illyrith um yeah illyrith she's the uh I, i'm thinking the um the ranger pathfinder character 
No, I thought that was Illic Night Spear. Yeah, that's or... the, yeah, that's the one I'm talking about. Oh, okay, okay. I don't okay. know the name, so that's yeah, that's exactly enough. what I'm talking about. Okay, um, just to be able to take on um, things like the Changeling, because uh, I feel like it, out of all the matchups, demons are one of the toughest matchups I have. Um, you know, I'm, I, I can fare with anything else, guard, um, imperial guard, um, tank, and space marine tanks. But uh, having like a, a not as buff of a buff character, not a tough buff character in the middle of an entire army uh, with a couple of snipers might really help um, turn the game in my favor. Okay, yeah, I think that would definitely help, especially um, because your army you do have you do have ways to clear bubble wrap and you do have ways to uh um you, you know kill vehicles but i think i feel like your army once it drops might suffer from a little bit of mobility you know what never mind snipers are good there's there's no excuse there's no there's the snipers are just good in every list <laughs> yeah snipers are good they have a place and uh and i i have a, a an old set of uh like second edition pathfinders from the eldar book like the old metal ones Ooh. so i'm looking forward to painting them up nice um so let's let's briefly cover dark eldar um real quick there's there's two questions i had for you and then uh we'll talk about something else we you know like uh, other dark eldar builds because i think we pretty much mentioned all the competitive dark eldar units um but first off lilith lilith was actually uh, believe it or not, the third model I ever bought from 40k. Nice. Um, as soon as I saw this, like you have this like badass gladiator arena undefeated Dark Eldar champion who's untouchable in one-on-one -on -one combat, and I was like, I'm sold. And I bought a metal model. Uh, I modeled her up, painted her up terribly, um, and then gave her to my wife because I thought my wife might want to play Dark Eldar. Turns out I was wrong. She she's a big Zinch Demon fan. Um, yeah, yeah. But how is Lilith in this game? Is she is she better or worse or? Uh, definitely much better. Like I really do like her. She's on my paint table right now. Nice. Um, so it's it's a model that I'll be hoping to to put into a variety of different games. Uh, she is a succubus, so she has the same um, same kind of like use as a succubus, holding infantry in combat and giving rerolls and whatnot. Um, but her uh, bite, her blades are quite good as well. Yeah, uh, being able to do like damage to very tough enemies, and she has combat drugs now, which That's is a cool. kind of like an anathema to the fluff because technically in the fluff she doesn't use combat drugs. <laughs> I actually think distinctly but, remember um, that. <laughs> yeah, uh, so it's interesting that they gave her combat drugs in this book. <laughs> but I'm not going to complain. Giving a plus one attack or plus one toughness can really come in handy maybe maybe in her case it's like uh it's just like a combat stance yeah it could be yeah, yeah you could you could you could you could put words to however you'd like it to work <laughs> for you she's she's feel like fighting faster so she gets an extra attack this game yeah 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 um, this game she's just gonna pretend that she has this drug because she can <laughs> do that fair enough um so uh and then the second question i had was um the, i Frankie Frankie swears on uh, uh, strength from death, Dark Eldar, um, and yes. obviously strength from death is, is a really powerful rule for those of you who are listening and maybe tuned in here to to beat Eldar. Um, strength from death is essentially the rule that lets you, if a one of your units or any unit dies within seven inches of of a unit with strength from death, 
they get to attack or shoot in the, as if they were in the shooting phase, uh, make a charge as if it was the combat phase, cast a psychic power, or move as if it was the movement phase. Um, so that's not a Doc Elda rule. That's an Inari rule. Right, right. But uh, but um, but I was saying that for people who didn't know what maybe what strength from death rule. And um, did do you like the power from pain better, or do you like strength from death? Have you have you gotten a chance? To I've play used with both? I, I've used both. Yeah, I've used both. I like the power the the um, power from pain for regular Dark Eldar infantry. Um, you know, it is it is very useful. But I really like strength from death. Um, I really love strength from death on select units. Okay, like what? Scourge, Blasterborn, um, and Incubi mainly. Okay, all right, that makes sense. Because Incubi are actually really good now in close combat. So I think Incubi are fantastic. Um, and because strength from death activates when their transport gets destroyed, um, you essentially run a transport up, and if they kill the transport, the, the unit of Incubi inside is going to charge. So right. that, that, makes, that makes it very, very dangerous. Yeah, that's really good. And then, uh, I'm just reading the Incubi real quick. Oh, so the power from Tain doesn't give them plus one to wound. It gives them plus one to hit. Which so is incredibly good as no, well. You're right. It is still really, really good. Um, but that means they're not blowing up on set on fives instead of sixes for two damage. Well, that's just the clavex. Yes. Oh, it's it's just the clave. It's not the actual. Yes. Okay. Yeah, just the unit champion gets that rule. Okay. I see. Interesting. All right. Um, so, is there any other Dark Eldar units worth looking at? Uh, the the Ravager is really really good. Um, three lances on a on a mobile f- platform with a five plus invulnerable save is they, those ravagers did work all weekend long. Um, I would have I would take a third. <laughs> like I would I would start every list with three ravagers with triple lances. Um, and the Void Raven bomber, make sure you take a second look at it. Um, the Archon is not like the be all end all, but I have to give a special um, mention to the homunculus. Yeah. The homunculus is a tank. He uh, has this cool weapon option called the electrocorrosive whip. And it's a a wound on four plus whip with two damage that does a minus two AP. That's pretty good. And he's got five attacks that hit on twos. So with a little eight point whip, he is he can just kill things in combat. Uh, and then I have a question: the Master of Pain rule, um, yeah. adding one to the toughness of uh, friendly units within oh all friendly units within six inches. Um, yeah. Uh, add one to all oh, okay, common yeah, yeah. units. Okay, so are there any units that benefit from combat drugs and are also homunculus coven? Uh, not the benefit from combat drugs, Darn. but um, it's one of the only ways that you can make your raiders and venoms uh, plus one toughness. Ooh, because it's units. That's yeah, so you can make you can make uh, your raiders and your venoms uh, coven raiders and venoms, and by making them coven, they would gain the plus one uh, toughness. So wow. they would become toughness six uh, raiders and venoms. Stark Eldar players, I hope you're taking notes. This is some good stuff. 
I'm yeah, learning, it's actually it's really useful, especially against assault cannons. All of a sudden, assault cannons are wounding on fours instead of threes. Right, and they're they're hitting you a little worse. And yeah, no, that's really powerful. Um, yeah. So okay, so moving on to uh, let's talk about Craft World Eldar for for a bit okay. before we go into Inari and Harlequins because they're such small factions. Um, so you you mentioned you mentioned the thirty warp spiders, fifty right? or fifty fifty warp. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, and I thought thirty warp spiders was good. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so you mentioned the fifty warp spiders that you played against. Uh, from your experience playing Eldar and reading through the book, um, are there are any of the aspects uh, really, really? You know what? Actually, I'm I'm sorry, guys. I, I'm gonna backtrack here. I feel like we can't talk about Eldar without talking about Inari real quick, um, because the strength from death rule is so powerful. Um, and that is primarily what you're going to be seeing. So, real quick, strength from death and Inari. Um, you need one of the Inari characters in your army to be an Inari army, right? In a detachment, yes. Detachment. Yes. Um, so, so the Incarn, I believe now, is an HQ choice instead of a Lord of War. Uh, let me just triple check that. It is, yes. Okay, great. So, um, essentially, when... With the strength from death rule, um, it it makes all your army it makes certain units more powerful than others. Like uh, Scar, you mentioned with like the the incubi and the scourges, etc. Uh, so mm-hmm. so when you're when we're talking about these units, we're going to talk about if they're better as an Ari or if they're better as Eldari or Eldar. Uh, yeah, Azuriani, I think is what they're called. Um, yeah. So, but first, the Incarn. What, what out of the three? HQ choices for Inari. Um, which three? Which ones do you like? Which Which one do you like the most? I well, I like. I've used all three, and I like all three. Okay. Um, for a competitive perspective, Yvrain and the Incarn are definitely the better ones because they get the psychic powers. Yeah. And one of the psychic powers they can pick is called Word of the Phoenix, which will activate um, Strength from Death on a unit, even though a unit hasn't been killed around it. So you can cast it on a unit in your psychic phase to make them double move or shoot again or you know, do something that might even trigger more soul burst from everybody else. Yeah, that's really good. Um, and yeah. the, the Incarn is really powerful. Uh, I found this out recently. I, I, I realized that the Incarn essentially played the same way it did last edition pr- mm-hmm. pretty much. But um, for some reason, it just it's, more, it's better than it was last edition. I, I can't quite pin it out it down but when i was playing uh my opponent at the hammer of wrath my final round opponent he had an inari list and i i thought i had everything mathed out calculated out i was like i was gonna shoot it's gonna kill this i was gonna kill this um and then he just he basically put the incarn in a spot where i didn't expect it to go um early on in my shooting phase and threatened my to charge pretty much my whole army um because he put a uh, fighter he, he flew like four fighters in my face, a hemlock wraith fighter, some some phoenixes, and something else. I don't know. There were just, there were Eldar flyers. Three of them were Forge World. Um, but he put the Incarn in my face really early after I shot like two things that could really hurt the Incarn, but not before I could shoot everything else at it. So I thought like, yeah. oh okay, I can I'm definitely I can definitely um kill this Incarn. And then he did a smart thing. Uh, he knew I had Grey Knight Strike Squads in reserve, so. So he was like, oh, the Incarn is a demon. And I was like, oh, she's a demon. That's that's actually really cool. So I can do three mortal wounds. And he's like, yeah, totally. 
And so I was like, oh, okay. So so I didn't actually so I didn't actually shoot the incarn on my turn because um, I shot like two shots at it first, and then he told me that, and then I s- stopped shooting at it, and I shot something else, and basically ruined my target priority. And then yeah. on his turn, he charged my Calexus assassin that I put in his backline to get Linebreaker for Maelstrom, um, with one Cabal warrior that I killed down to one model because I I wanted the save strength I wanted to limit strength from death. Um, yeah. He charged the Kalexis assassin with that model, killed it, and then teleported his incarn across the board again, so I couldn't mm-hmm. spite it. So essentially, I wasted like two shots and uh, strike squads um, not coming in because, or um, essentially, I wasted two shots and it basically threw me off just by doing that one thing. And I just, anyways, the incarn's really powerful. That was the, the whole point of this little ramble going on. Is um. Was it- that you can the being able to move across the board, even even without like a- actively like charging things when she comes in, is still really powerful. And you can do little things like that to get in your opponent's head uh, and move the incarn around. You know, basically uh, forcing them to like try and deal with it and then not deal with it. It's just, it's the incarn's. I I feel like the incarn's the strongest model. Basically, yeah. the incarn <laughs> is very very strong. Um, you know, the ability to teleport, the ability to gain, regain wounds, um, the ability to, to not be targeted because it has less than 10 wounds, um, yes. so it can hide behind things. It's it's a definitely a very powerful model. Yes. Averain's cheap, though. Yeah, Averain's uh, definitely cheap. Uh, she can also regain wounds. She has the psychic abilities, and she's no slouch in combat either with a, you know, damage D3 sword. Yeah. Um, so I think, I don't know, Skari, if you had to pick? Um, if I had to pick, I would say the Incarn first, uh, then Ivrain, and then if you, if you wanted to, take the, um, the Vizark. He recently got a, uh, FAQ, so he got a 4 plus invulnerable save as well. Okay. And is so he now cheaper he's, than Ivrain? Uh, he's, he, he's, he is a little bit, I believe. Right. And he and, also has uh, a 3-up normal save. Yeah, so he's got a 3-up save. He's he's definitely more of a tank in combat. You know, so you want to get him up close. I usually run him with a big unit of Incubi. Ooh, okay. Alright, cool. Okay, so that's it. Inari, the, the, those are done. So let's go back to Craftworld Eldar. Um, so back to the original question um, with the Aspect Warriors. Uh, I know... All of the aspect where I think all of the aspect warriors actually got better. Um, yeah, I see more people running all of them. I see fire dragons a lot, uh, especially Inari fire dragons. Um, I see striking scorpions. Uh, Reese runs a dire avenger list with Azerman. Um So we'll just talk about all of them basically, because I think if you're playing competitively and in large events like the LVO or Nova or Depticon, I feel like you're going to see all of the aspects, like even Warp Spiders. I thought Warp Spiders were the worst aspect warrior, but um, clearly, you you know, the guy knew what he was doing. Yeah, definitely if you start comboing them up. Right. Um, my, my favorite aspect, though, is going to have to be uh, um, Dark Reapers. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. At least right now in this edition, I believe that they're incredibly strong. Right. So, so what they do, um, what Dark Reapers do is they... They usually, I see people put them up in bastions or out of line of sight because they have 48-inch range guns. Let me check real quick. 
They have, they have crazy yeah, long range guns. They can move and shoot, and with the strength and death, they can shoot twice. Yeah. So so you keep so you can keep like two or three Dark Reaper units close together, um, with like no no uh, just cast the psychic power on them. So they oh shoot yeah. Twice. Oh there you go. Boom. Yeah, so so Ivrain can sit in the back with her Dark Reaper mm-hmm. buddies, um, in a in a bastion, uh, or on top of a bastion. Um, out of line of sight, because I think they can also shoot out of line of sight too. Uh, I believe they need line of sight. They just they can move and shoot without penalty. Okay. Okay, so that's so so yeah, so that's how they do it. They just move where they need to. Um, uh, they only move six inches, which is kind of cool. They don't they don't move eight inches like normal Eldar. Um, and then they have a lot of sh- they have really powerful shots. Uh, I think you take the Reaper launcher. Correct. Yeah. Just reading through this real quick. Which is a really strong weapon. Yes. Yeah, it's really strong. One one flat three damage, strength eight, ren two shot is, is nothing to sneeze at. Yeah. So Dan Platt actually runs his Inari list with um with a unit of them. Nice. No, their Dark Reapers are really good. Um and then uh I think Swooping Hawks got a bit of a nerf. I they they can um, leap back into the skies again, uh, and then if they're if they leave combat with the sky leap and they don't come back before the game ends, they're considered dead. Uh, yeah. But be, being able to jump back up and then set them up set them up on the board again anywhere within nine inches, basically deep strike them. And then they also do um, mortal wounds on a six with their grenades, uh, which mm-hmm. they can which they can. You cannot fire when they deep strike. Now, let me see. Yeah, so you can't drop grenades uh, when they deep strike. Um, you can only do it when they move. But having a 14-inch movement and being able to move and or uh, being able to jump back up and deep strike means that they you could probably see a few swooping hawks. Um, you know, for like late game objectives. And the other cool thing about them is Inari swooping hawks can drop down. Um, they don't even need to be Nari Swooping Hawks, but they can drop down and uh, if there's like one model left, it can sky leap up and then drop down in a spot where you need Strength from Death to happen. So when he, that model eventually dies, um, you know, you can charge it into a heavy hitting unit or, or put it on objective or whatever. Uh, you can benefit from Strength from Death. So that might be kind of cool. Uh, you can use Swooping Hawks. They can get up the board at, with like Wave Serpents, Wraith Guard, which we'll talk about. Or like fire dragons in in a wave serpent, um, and then just kind of like trigger strength from death and be annoying. Definitely, yeah. um, you know the the mobility is the name of the game when it comes to Eldar, though. Yes. Like you need to be everywhere from all angles at all points of the game. I agree, um, and Eldar are really good at it. Which, yes, they are. Yeah, which is which is very important. Um, Striking Scorpions, uh, Reese loves these guys, um, by the way. Uh, striking Scorpions, they they, they deep strike, um, or quote-unquote deep strike. I think they, they hide somewhere, and then when they need to, you you get them out. But um, basically, they deep strike, uh, and then they do mortal wounds on a 6 when they charge things with their Mana Blasters, um, which which can come in handy. Because if, if, essentially, for, with units like Striking Scorpions... Um, swooping hawks, mandrakes, uh, units that deep strike down and are are not very, very, like they don't kill a lot in close combat. Like they're solid, but they're not amazing. They're not close combat monsters. Um, it's always good 
if you, they have mortal wounds or they have an ability to hurt things they're charging, like Razorbacks, etc. Um, yeah. Because those those things can't hurt them back. Uh, so essentially, with striking scorpions, um, if you're charging a line of Razorbacks uh, on a six, they're doing mortal wounds. Um, but there's like that's like not that's nothing. There's no penalty or there's no um, danger to that because you're just fighting assault cannon Razorbacks in close combat who are going to not hit you, or maybe they'll put, like, one wound on you, which you'll pass with your three-up save. Um, so the, you'll be able to generate more attacks and more opportunities for more sixes, which do mortal wounds, which which means you can wear them down to kill them later on with, like, a lone fire dragon who somehow survived, or, or whatever, right? Uh, yeah, no, well, the mandiblasters, they just do uh, D6 for each model at the beginning of the fight phase. So it's not per attack, it's just one, one for each model. Oops, but it's... It's uh, it's really good to to just kind of they can go up against any sort of tough opponent, and still have a good chance at taking wounds off of a very nasty unit like a tank or a dreadnought or a monstrous creature, um, and then you know with weight of attacks even help bring it down as well. Yeah. Um. Now I have a question. It actually does say only infantry models, sadly. Mm-hmm. So uh, rhinos. That is true. Yeah. Unfortunately. I was wrong about that, but um, it says at the beginning of each fight phase, you roll D6 for each model in this unit. Okay, so within one inch of an enemy infantry. Okay, so so it's for each Mandiblaster in the unit. So you could potentially do like five mortal wounds to a unit if you, if you've rolled five sixes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, you know, depending on how big your unit is. Yeah. I'm just reading this real quick. Yeah, no, for sure. Now, another unit that I really like, uh, you know, we, uh, uh, the Wraith Guard and the Wraith Blades. Yes. And I feel the Wraith Guard with the D guns, or the Wraith Cannons, are really, really good with uh, strength from death as well. Yeah, the Wraith Guard with the D, the, the D scythes, that's the Flamer, right? No, the D Cannons. The D, the D Flamer, cannon. the D Scythe isn't as good as it used to be. Okay. Um, you know, strength 10 minus 4 AP, but it's Assault D3. You just have to roll once for the entire unit. So you could get 15 shots or five shots. Okay, so you say use them with the Wraith Cannon instead. Yeah, I've, I like the 12-inch Assault 1, Strength 10, D6 damage. Okay. And they can they can fall back and shoot as well. That's actually really good. Um, it's amazingly good. Yeah, that's actually that's strong. So they could... And they're three wounds each, too. Yes, yes, they are, and they're toughness five. No, the wraith guard are wraith guard are crazy. Even wraith blades, um, even wraith blades are uh, really good too. We have a buddy on our team, Richard, who runs uh, wraith any wraith blades and wraith guard in wave serpents. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll talk about wave serpents after. The wave serpents are crazy. Uh, <laughs> wave serpents are fantastic. They're so good. Um, but he he shoves wraith guard and wraith blades in your face and kind of forces you to pick your poison. Uh, along with like really cheap razor wing flocks, really mid-sized razor wing flocks. Um, so if you if you focus on the razor wing flocks, he strength from deaths and kills things. If you focus on the wraith guard, not only are they hard to kill, but you you know you're going to get tied up by razor wing flocks. It's just it's really annoying and really in your face. Um, yeah. I, I I think the D it's the D scythe. You're right. Is probably worse than the wraith cannon. Um, and I see why they did that because assault D six. You know, strength ten, AP four, one damage attacks would be insane, uh, especially because they automatically hit. So uh, they're really good for firing in Overwatch. Yes, definitely. Yeah. So I don't know. It's a tough choice. 
Well, just take all of them. All of all of the wraith. All of the wraith. Units. Just take all of the wraith things. Speaking uh, of that, wraith, go ahead. Yes, I was going to say. Speaking of wraith stuff, the hemlock wraith fighter is fantastic as well. Yes, the hemlock wraith fighter is uh, great. Not only it can cast conceal, so it, it's a, it's a caster, um, and it also has D three wraith cannon shots. I think. Eat tw- 2d3 wraith cannon shots. Yeah, it's got like 2d3 at 16 inch range, automatically hits the target with AP minus 4, damage 2, strength 10. It's brilliant. And it and it can smite you too. Oh yeah, and it can also smite you, and it's mobile enough to actually target things that it wants to smite. Um, mm-hmm. And it also subtracts your leadership, which is kind of cute. Um, it's cumulative with uh, dark, anything like Dark Eldar stuff, so it, you can run like kind of like a cute little like leadership debuff army in Eldari uh, and then run things like Dark Reapers or um, Vol's Wrath cannons and kind of like force leadership checks everywhere. I think that might be kind of funny. Um, but yeah, the Hemlock Wraith Fighter I found out is, is amazing. It's also, um, does Conceal work on it too? So does it have a minus two to hit it? Let me check. Runes of Battle. I believe it yeah. would. It don't. Oh, so it says your opponent must subtract one from all hit rolls for ranged weapons that target the psyker or friendly infantry and biker units. Cool. So it would help. Wow. So so it has a minus two to hit it when you cast conceal. Nice. That's insane. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, not to mention it could also just cast. Uh, guide, which is essentially prescience for a unit, um, or doom or fortune, or any of the other good Eldar units, and that's that's actually honestly why things like warlocks and um, spirit seers and Eldrad, like a lot of the Eldar psychers are still really strong, um, they, especially coming out of the index because yeah. you have access to six powers instead of uh, three and nine if you include Inari and you run an Inari detachment, um, so you have access to so many different powers. Uh, and they're all so good, and they all help your army so much that, you know, bringing El- Eldar... I feel like bringing Eldar Psychers is clearly the best HQ choice, though I do see people running the Exarchs a lot. Yeah, Exarchs are good. Uh, uh, the, um, or Autarchs. The Farseer... The, yeah, the Autarchs not bad, especially with wings, so you can go grab, like, a Relic or something. Oh, yeah. But the Farseer, because of Doom and Guide... It's just fantastic. I was uh, rereading the Dark Reapers, and the cool thing about them is they always hit on three pluses, regardless of any negative modifiers. Oh, wow. So so they could shoot flyers down easily. Yeah, they shoot everything. Even if it's a minus four to hit, they'll still hit on threes. Right, that's crazy. Um, yeah, Dark Reapers are nuts. And they're also not... They're like 160 points, I think. I want to say... 100, 112 points for, for five, four or five, I think. Uh-oh. That's actually really... That's actually amazing. It's a lot better than I uh, thought. Oh, I can just check. But yeah, it's 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 really, really good. Oh, they're, they're five points each base for three. That's already it's already a good start. <laughs> uh, it's the gun they pay for. Yeah, 30, yeah 36 points a model. Um, but, you know, you can keep them under 100 points if you run squads of three which I think might be the optimal choice because if you run squads of three, you strength from death a little easier. The Brock strength from death a little easier. Um, and, you, you know, when your opponent kills a unit, like it's less of, a, it's more of an investment for them 
because it still yeah. has like it could still be concealed, so minus one to hit it, and it might be in cover. So it'll be a hard three man unit to kill. Uh, and then their exarchs have two wounds, so it's it's a three man unit with four wounds. It's not bad. Yeah, and a three up save. Yeah, it's pretty good. Pretty powerful. decent. Pretty powerful. Uh, let's see. What else are we missing here? I feel like there's something we need to talk about. That ah, ha- oh, uh, wraith, wraith lords. They, I heard they are really good now. Let's go. I wouldn't have any experience against them. Um. So. Um. But they definitely have like flamers, so they can have the flamers, and they can shoot all the guns that they have on them, and uh, you know that they. You know, two Wraith Lords, I think, would be more survivable than one Wraith Knight. Uh, yeah. Um, maybe. Because the Wraith Knight is Toughness 8. They both have the same save, and the Wraith Knight also has 24 wounds. But the good thing about the Wraith Lord is they're cheap. They're, yeah. they're actually... You can keep them really cheap, or you can deck them out with missiles, um, good shooting. Uh, but I feel like cheap Wraith Lords with, with um, Spirit Seers... I think Spirit Seers give them re-roll to hits. Let me just check Spirit Seers real quick. Uh, you can re-roll to hit rolls of one for Spirit Host. Yeah, so so they can with uh, Spirit Seals you can give them um, missiles and have them sit in the back, and that's only one hundred hundred and sixty points. Check the heavy. Sorry, guys. I am not super familiar with the uh, with the Aldar book, uh, unfortunately. Um, yeah, the, it's only yeah, it's only 160 because it's 50 points for the missile launchers. So it's 163 points plus uh, your shuriken catapults. So not that. Yeah, no. The the rate the rate lords have definitely have a bit of a boost based on you know previous you know what they had before. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, so I, I think the Eldar, I, the, the, at first I, I didn't like Eldar. Um, I didn't really like, uh, what, what they brought to the table. I thought they were really, they were really, uh, weak and not very resilient, but the more I see people play them, um, the more I start to see them becoming like what demons were last edition in that they're, they're very mobile. They're very toolboxy. Um, they do a lot of different things. They don't really play by the rules of the game. Um, they have access to like deep strike and mortal wounds and the minus one to hit uh, and a lot of weird things that like move and hit at the same time and strength from death uh, and good like they just they do a lot of different things they do every every part of the especially when you combine with like dark Eldar or Harlequins which we're going to talk about next um, yeah. they do every part of the game really well. Hundred so, percent. They yeah. they definitely have an ability to affect every part of the game, and they have a lot of different options regardless of who their opponent is. Yeah. Uh, which really, you know, that and that versatility is something that you can't buy. No, absolutely not. Uh, and finally, the the king. I think the the best of all three factions, um, both flavor wise and competitively, in my humble opinion, uh, Harlequins. Um, Harlequins. So, if you guys are uh, if you guys are eBay eBayers or, or hunting around on GW's website, um, Harlequins sell out everywhere often, all the time. Um, especially now that they're actually really good. Um, and the re the units you want to pick up are troops, Harlequin troops. Yeah. Their basic troop choice um, because Harlequin detachments are not bad, and troops also are really good. They uh, not only are there their 
which one? The kiss, the D three damage one. Yes. Uh, not only is the, the caress, the caress is actually really, really good. Oh, strength five. Yeah, the caress, the caress and the kiss. They're both, they're both really good. Um, uh, but also their fusion pistols are where it's at. Yeah. I see a lot of people. Basically, what people do because Harlequins have a flat four invuln across the board, uh, and they're Star Weavers. I, I, I think they're called Star Weavers. Yes. Yeah, the tank. Yeah. Yeah, their Star Weavers have a minus one hit, uh, and a four invuln, a four plus plus, uh, and they're so mobile. It, I see a lot of people, you know, basically shove Harlequins in your opponent's face quickly, um, and then you have to deal with these Star Weavers, which actually kind of hurt in close combat a little bit. They, you mm-hmm. know, they hit on threes, and they do their strength six attacks with, with uh, tr- uh, rending. So on a six, they do their AP three. Um, yeah. And they, they shove those in your face. And it, the Star Weavers are hard to kill, but you need to kill them because they're also very tough, uh, and they're very strong and lethal. Uh, and then when you kill them, these troops come out with these characters because you can fit six models in a Star Weaver. So you can fit five troops and a character, which usually is, that's usually the common thing to do. Um, you run like a death jester uh, or a um, a troop master. The troop masters are, are, are where it's at in terms of damage output. Right, because they can reroll all the failed to hit, failed to wound rolls. And then you have the odd shadow seer in there to make it minus one to wound them. Ooh, that's really good. That's actually Which, really yeah. really good. It makes them essentially toughness like five or six even. It's crazy. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And then you could solitaire in there too. Throw a solitaire in there and blitz. Um, kind of just mess around. I've, I've had a lot of trouble dealing with solitaires. Uh, they usually somehow make up their points back just by killing things off to the side. And you can also solitaires are great. Yeah, they're amazing. Um, and you know they're all characters, so you, you can't shoot them unless they're the closest model. Um, but yeah. I, they're also harlequins are also very one dimensional. Um, they don't do much else other than that. Uh, they can they can. The other good thing about harlequins is is um, you pretty much are going to see those units. I don't really see Skyweavers, the bikes, used a whole lot. Um, they're really expensive. With um, with Strength from Death, oh. those Skyweavers are one of the key units in that list. Okay, so... Because you can throw, you throw, uh, you know, two wounded or three wounded, uh, four plus invulnerable save, model 30-some inches down, down the table. With uh, with the word of the phoenix. Oh, okay, I see. And then they have so you a can double bone. move them, right? Yeah, and then minus one to hit them. Yikes! With the yeah, yeah, those those things. If you see them on the table, do not underestimate them. <laughs> I won't. I was about to. Thank you for telling me that. Um, and so in terms of the Harlequin list in your experience, Scary, uh, do you take rising crescendo um, so that they can advance and charge? Uh, or fall back and shoot, or do you take strength from death? Well, I haven't run the Harlequins in eighth, but Jared Bond, uh, he's been he's a number one ranked uh, Harlequin player in all of Canada. Okay. And he runs Rising Crescendo Harlequins um, because of the ability to fall back, advance, charge. Like he loves the mobility that comes from that. Okay. Being able to, you know, jump over models and charge and fall back over things and move. Like, it's just, it, it just, you cannot pin them down. Okay. They become unpinnable. And he's had good results with them. Uh, right. Now, Dan, Dan Platt on the other side, or Tim, they run, um, 
they run uh, strength from death, so Inari Harlequins. Uh, but they they use it in conjunction with things like the Incarn and other Eldar units to create more of a soup army and really focus on the strengths of the Harlequins, which are their fusion pistols, uh, in the in the in the Star Weavers. You know, so really put a lot of pressure on the enemy that way while using strength from death to then kind of double shoot or charge or using the mobility that way. Yeah, it seems like it seems like the, there is there's the way Jared, like you said, plays, and and I feel like that army takes a little more finesse um, because you need you know you have essentially pseudo hit and run right where you can leave combat yeah. and still shoot and charge, um, and you can advance and charge. Uh, so so it focuses more on mobility, which is which is more cerebral because you need to be more precise with your movement. Um, whereas strength from death harlequins seem like they're more of a blunt instrument, right? Like you shove them in shove them in your opponent's face. They're hard to kill. Um, they, they're very, very powerful when they, especially when they strength from death. Um, and then you can sit in the back with something like Ivrain with Dark Reapers um, and pile on more damage onto your opponent force and force them to uh, basically take losses while they're dealing with these Harlequins. Um, so it, it, they definitely seem like they're two different styles. Um, mm-hmm. I really like Harlequins because they can do both really well when played correctly. You can, with the minus one to hit, and the four binbone. It's very easy to to sit back in objective camp with star a star weaver on an objective with har- with troops choices. Um, mm-hmm. So you can. I, I see a lot of harlequin players. Like uh, for example, I played Brandon Harpainer. Um, he moved all his harlequins up in a line in a big blob, and I tabled him with my army. It was it was quick, um, and I do that a lot uh, when I play Eldar Eldari players. But if you play them really cagey. Uh, move them out maybe so they're dancing out of range of the units that can kill them out of line of sight in cover um especially in cover they're they're yeah. actually really annoying and really hard to yeah. kill they are very hard to kill and uh you know if you if you make your opponent play your game it's even worse yes yes could you explain that a little further uh so you know whenever you're playing any game you want the opponent to be playing reactively to what you want them to do okay so by throwing something up in your in your face like reaver jet bikes or or um or the the harlequin jet bikes all of a sudden they put you on the back foot and you haven't even realized it yeah because now you're reacting to those jet bikes being in your deployment zone and all your all your actions become you know based on what to do with those units and you can quickly lose sight of the objectives at hand. Yes, I agree. They're they're really good at that. They're they're uh, in the hands of a capable player. They they can compete with any army easily. Um, exactly. Yeah. So uh, now that I think that's all the Eldar factions, unless they make a new one in the next ten seconds. Um, let's give them a little time. And too late, GW. So. We're gonna close yeah, it out. Yeah. Um, do you have any clo- do you have any closing thoughts on how to deal with Eldar or or maybe some weaknesses? Because I feel like we talked a lot about their strengths, strengths. and yeah, yeah. What, what they're good at. But how do you deal with Eldar as a a player in the 40k world? Well, the beautiful thing about Eldar is that you can really make a list that's so varied that it's gonna have uh, that many varieties of ways to beat it as well. Okay. Um, which makes it very hard to pinpoint its um, the the main weaknesses. Now, of course, 
first of all, most of the Eldar armies, if they're not Wraith armies, they tend to be toughness three. Mm-hmm. So you can really focus on a lot of shooting with bolters and things like that that'll really do a lot of damage um, in in volume. Yes. Yes. Um, you, and you're absolutely right. The Not only Toughness 3, um, but a lot of their vehicles are like Toughness 6. Um, you know, with 3-up saves, but they, they don't really have access to a lot of like 2-up saves um, outside of the like rare Archon with the 2-up invuln. Um so they're usually at like lower toughness than the average strength people spam, which is like strength six and strength seven, um, and they usually don't have a save better than like a three or four up. Uh, so one thing I've always found is is no matter what Eldar tricks peop- the Eldar player comes up with, no matter how many crazy movement shenanigans and rerolls, et cetera, et cetera, uh, they always they always have to stay within my range, with the exception of Dark Reapers, like twenty four, thirty six inches. Um, and they always die to volume of fire, no matter what. Um, I, I haven't like they're not they don't have like they don't produce these unkillable units. Um, yeah. L- so weight of fire, yeah, weight of fire is usually a very good thing. And don't be afraid to get stuck in. Like, don't be afraid to um, to get in their grill. Um, now, something to be wary of is don't fall for a lot of deployment baiting tactics. You know, mm-hmm. if anything is Eldar, very 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 quick and fast so it's very easy to think that you're counter deploying when in in when you'll find yourself out of position very quickly because of the fact that they can move from one end of the board to the other very very quickly that's true i actually didn't think about that um yeah and then and then things like the heart the solitaire's blitz um and swooping hawks uh and like being able to advance and charge with like star Weavers. also the bouncing incarn too the bouncing incarn um you're right there's you always want to kind of keep an eye on what your army what your opponent's eldar army does uh or what what they picked um and then one final thing uh before we get going is is keep an eye on what psychic powers they're picking as well because the, their psychic powers are also another toolbox in addition to their list um yeah so just keep in mind like always ask them like what psychic powers did you pick uh, and keep them on their toes because I'd seeing more and more people, Eldar players, bringing lots more psychic powers um, in their armies. So yeah, it's definitely good to know what your opponent and kind of have an idea of why they want to. You know, like the um, you know, for example, you would have never known that fifty warp spiders would have been a good list until you realize that it's actually fifty warp spiders at a minus <laughs> two to hit them. Yeah, that's really good. That's right. So, so just you know, there's Eldar and Eldar trick, tricksy shenanigans. You know, make sure that you, you know, the the best way to fight any army is know the enemy army. So, you know, I highly recommend that you guys um, just read read what they can do. You know, read the abilities that the Exarchs have. You know, read the psychic powers, and uh, and just inform yourself so you're not. You're not taken aback by, you know, when a Dark Eldar player tells you that on turn three, all of his close combat armies, all his units get plus one to hit in combat. Yeah, that's that's true. Um, also, I also recommend if you want to brush up on your anti-Eldar, you, you know, campaign, um, I also recommend you listen to this podcast right now. So just uh, go back, rewind it back to the beginning, and then just listen to the podcast again. Um, if you feel like you haven't gotten it yet, uh, and 100%. If, if you've come back to this point, 
again, just rewind it and do it again. Um, and then just keep going until you got it all. Yeah, perfect practice makes perfect. And it all starts with a good mentor. Uh, uh, yeah, that's true. Um, speaking of good mentors, or did you say, you said good mentor, right? I, I said good mentor, but I totally meant you. Okay, okay. Well, I was actually going to go <laughs> on to you, speaking of good mentors. Uh, Skari, where can people listen to you if they love hearing your beautiful accented voice more? My voice. Uh, you can go to Scardcast on YouTube, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Twitch. Um, you can find me on any of the social media platforms. That's S-K-A-R-E-D-C-A-S-T. I'm also on Patreon. Um, I have patrons that help me create content. Yes. And um, I'm finding out more and more that uh, Patreon supporters make the world go round. Yeah. So remember it's that. It's a grassroots campaign. It's really cool. It's like being a patron in the old medieval ages and having patron like um, a lord say that he likes your art and be a patron and then let you do what you love because he paid you to make cool art yes speaking of of paying people to make cool art um i heard somewhere read somewhere um that if you guys if scary hits a million patreon supporters that he's going to dress up in a harlequin outfit um uh, and, i would dress up in any dance. harlequin outfit yeah <laughs> any harlequin outfit maybe even an ibrain outfit yeah now let's let i'll actually i'll actually do that challenge if uh as soon as the patron um, hits a thousand a thousand dollars a month. I will dress up in a Harlequin outfit. You heard it here first. You heard it here, and I will go to my next GT tournament dressed as a Harlequin. Ooh, hold on, let me hop on Patreon real quick. So while I'm <laughs> while I'm hopping on Patreon real quick, guys, because I would love to make this work. Um, <laughs> don't forget to email me at frontlinegamingpdpab if you guys at gmail.com. Um, if you guys want to hear more information or if you have any more questions, um, I try to get as much information in the episodes as I can, um, but it, it doesn't always work. Um, we have limited amounts of time and jobs and lives to get to. Um, so if I miss anything and you guys want to talk to me about it, if you have any questions, emailing me is a good way to go. Um, other than that, thank you very much for listening. You guys are the best. Have a good one. <laughs>